on today's show. We are getting to know Etta. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. And Etta, I messaged you out of the blue, and I believe the reply was, okay, yeah, sure. I have a random ass illness that you might be interested in learning about. It's truly bizarre. And talking to you yes. for five minutes beforehand, I'm uh, excited to hear about your illness. So thank you for coming on, letting people get to know you, man. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So yes, I do have a strange illness, which I've done a lot of podcasting about. Um, and I've done a lot of like publications and I'm actually working with, um, with a group of doctors from Harvard Mayo Clinic, um, Johns Hopkins, sort of all over like the main heavy hitters here, um, and how to improve uh, care in emergency rooms for people who have my, my specific condition. So yeah, so a lot of work. I looked and I'm sorry to cut you off. That's what kind of sucks sure. about the whole hangout zoom meeting thing, but I was on the profile and I have no idea. It says like, and I might not even say it right. Vestibular migraine ambassador or vestibular migraine. And then it's vestibular Veda, Vida, Ambassador? Veda. Yeah, Veda. that's the name of the 
that's the name of the organization that I'm an ambassador for to help raise awareness and to bring people together um, to help them find doctors and to have support groups. So what it is, is I have something called vestibular migraine, chronic vestibular migraine, and triple PD. And triple PD stands for um, persistent or perce- persistent perceptual something dizziness. It's a it's a really it's a really long thing. I always so one of the things with with this is I do have a lot of brain fog, so like I miss words a lot. I love it. I miss so, spell words all the time, so we'll be a perfect pair. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it'll it'll come to me in a second, but basically, like what this means is that I am permanently not well I am permanently dizzy so I live I live my life dizzy all the time and I have for almost three years now um I am at a point where I don't notice it like I'm able to have control over it so the best way to explain it is it's not that my symptoms are gone and I'm cured it's that I have control over it now and it doesn't affect my life to the same level that it used to. So in the beginning, about two and a half years ago, almost three years ago now, I woke up one day and I was very dizzy and I didn't know why. And I didn't think anything of it. And then it didn't go away. So a month later, I started to panic. I was like, something's very, very wrong. And I thought that I maybe had a brain tumor or that I had MS or something. I went through, I went to a bunch of doctors and they all told me that I had anxiety and that there was nothing wrong with me. Can I pause you for a second to understand what the, like when you're saying you're dizzy, you Mm -hmm. stand up and you feel like you're going to fall. You stand up and you see walls spinning. You stand up and when you take steps, you're like almost looking like you're drunk. What is feeling yeah. dizzy? So I, it's like being drunk all the time. And you feel, you feel a sense of motion all the time. So for me, so there are people that feel like the room is spinning. So they feel like the things around them are spinning. And then there are people that feel like they are spinning or that, that, that the movement is coming from them and not the things around them. So for my particular situation, I feel like I'm moving. So I feel like I'm on a boat all the time. My balance is off. My vision is, my vision can be strange where, you know, my depth perception is totally off. Like things look either really close or really far away. Sometimes like if I look down on the carpet, it looks like ants, like everything is moving. Um, A lot of other symptoms come in. Like I feel sometimes like I'm completely detached from my body. So I feel like I'm having an out of body experience and that's very, very scary. So that's almost as if you are on acid. I was going to say like you're you're having the out of body, but like unwarranted, Mm -hmm. not like you were taking the mushrooms or sipping the ayahuasca. And it's actually called, that particular symptom is called Alice in Wonderland syndrome. I love that it's, name. The doctor yeah. who named it, that's a great name. The, so it was, it's presumed 
that Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, had a vestibular problem, a vestibular disorder of some sort and some type of migraine disorder along with it. And he was writing about his experiences dealing with that disease. Really? Yes. How'd you learn that? Um, because I've been sick for almost three years and I have no choice but to learn as much as I can because there's not a lot of doctors that truly, truly understand this. And it was at one point it was called floating women's syndrome because you feel like you're floating. So for me, the out of body experiences, I feel like I'm hovering like up here, like I'm here, but I'm actually above your head floating like you're getting called to heaven. Yeah. Now, like do being, you see yeah. your body as you're floating? Like, do you have the perception of literally seeing your body as you're floating above it? Yes. That's uh-huh. fucking trippy, man. And it happens do you when feel I'm outside. In, I'm sorry, but like, do you feel in control? Like, as you're floating away, do you feel you can move your arms? You can move your legs? Or do you feel like you've left, like your spirit has left your body and your body that you're viewing is... Like immobile, yeah, empty. Um, no. So I can I can do things like I can walk around as if I'm normal while seeing your body in three D. Kind of it. It's more of a feeling than an actual visual. Gotcha. Is the best way to explain it. Um, it it really is like having a psychedelic experience, except you're not. I'm not schizophrenic. Like there's none of there's none of that like mental aspect going on it does cause a lot of anxiety because it's very very worrying whenever you feel like you're stuck outside of yourself it's fucking scary imagine like drifting in space i'm picturing like an astronaut that's untethered and all of a sudden you like made the wrong move and your motion Mm -hmm. is pulling you away from a space station like that would be scary as hell Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Sorry, I should have made that longer it's, so you could. No, no, it's it, it is it's scary. It, it's like, and it's hard to explain it to people because, without sounding like you're insane, because you're like, I'm okay. Like I am sitting here talking to you, or I'm out in public trying to live my life, or you know, do whatever. But I have this feeling that is just so off. All while I'm dizzy, like there's a lot going on, like all at, all at the yeah. same well, time. I'd imagine if you feel like you're floating away from your body, mm-hmm. isn't that one and the same with the dizziness, or are those two separate symptoms? Because to those me, are like two separate, they're two separate symptoms. They're very, very separate because I can have really one without the other. So I can feel as if I'm having that out of body experience as if I'm floating above myself. Some people describe it different. Some people feel like they are behind a window from themselves and it's like dirty and they can't see properly. And that's where they're living. They're living behind themselves. And some people feel like they're very tall and like they're, they're like their actual physical body is very tall. Some people feel like they're very, very short like like miniature sized and like everything is closing in on them. So everybody has a little bit of a different way that they experience it, I think, but it's all like within 
people having vestibular disorders, it's very common that they would feel this way. And that's separate from the dizziness. Because yes. I'm not trying to be like a schmuck about this. I'm trying to wrap no, my head around. Because again, like I'm feeling the detachment. And I guess the way I'm thinking about it is if you're an individual and typically you're in sync with your body. So I look at yes. that as like a soul within a body. Now, if you yeah. remove the soul and the soul is now viewing the body, I would feel like that distance would create the dizziness. And I guess that's why I keep harping on it. Not to be, again, not sure. to be like, hey, you're wrong, because, but I'm no. I, to understand yeah. it. So whenever I feel like I'm not within my body or I feel like I'm, or I'm having this Alice in Wonderland symptoms, I don't take those physical symptoms with me. Those physical symptoms are still a part of this body. So I can, I can all of a sudden stop having Alice in Wonderland symptoms, symptoms like the detachment from my body, but my physical symptoms are still there and vice versa. I can still feel like I'm outside of my body, but my physical symptoms will lessen. So there, there are two different, there are two different things go, going on, but they are, they are one of the same, you know, yeah, I was just They're wondering, all... I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah that's going to suck. And no. I'm terrible. I've been working on as a personal goal of mine, figuring out when to like interject through a screen medium. So I don't mean to be rude at all. Oh no, don't, don't worry at all. Off. No, you can ask anything. And if it's, it, it's just, it's so hard to to articulate how this no. actually feels because Dude. it's so so weird yeah that's the best way no to shit. explain but it dude you're doing and a great job articulating like i'm i'm following i'm feeling it with you but sure. my question was like is there like and i don't even know like an i want to say the word inverse so as you feel closer to your body can you feel the dizziness increase and then the further away you get from your body, does the dizziness decrease? Or are they like two separate variables that you have no idea when one's going to do very the other? Very separate variables. Yeah. Very, very separate, very separate variables. God, man. Totally, totally different from each other. But they're all part, they're all under the umbrella yeah. of vestibular migraine, migraine in the triple PD. So, you know, it, it all comes with being chronic with this chronic dizzy, you know, this chronic dizziness that I experienced. So in those first beginning months, whenever I did wake up dizzy and after a month when I was still dizzy and I was going to doctor after doctor trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I was very like, and they were telling me that I had anxiety. I'm like, okay, well I don't, but this is wow. what's giving me anxiety. So, you know, let me ask two questions. How old were you? Yeah. If that's not too rude, 30, or how long ago? Thirty. No, I was thirty-eight when it started. That late in life. Yes. Wow. But that that being said, my symptoms started chronically at thirty-eight years old. Oh. And I think I personally think that I have dealt with this to some degree for my entire life, and we didn't realize it because. I remember having these Alice in Wonderland ex experiences as a child, and I had no way of articulating it or explaining it to anybody. I never 
told my parents about it. I never told anybody about it because I didn't know what it, like, I, I had no idea what it was and I never really thought much of it. And I remember very specific times in my life when I was very young of feeling like laying in my bed and feeling like I was floating above myself and not knowing like how to explain that. I just thought it was like, (laughs) I didn't know what I thought. And now, you know, being an adult and having all of these things like literally ruin my life. I now understand that this has actually been a problem for a lot longer than I realized. And I was probably in some way born this way. Right. But we didn't notice until, like, I didn't notice until things became chronic. Yeah, it, I mean, I, I've spoken with people and I've known people where later on in life, they finally get like an ADHD yes. label. And it's like, oh, I thought I just had energy and I couldn't focus. But then I realized, like, when I'm 35, yeah. I needed medication mm-hmm. to, like, calm my mind down and I needed strategies. So I, I could see the coping. I'm curious what made you want to go to the doctor? Well, because I, I I had been dizzy for a month and I actually felt a lot of like pressure in my head. I, my ears uh, felt like the tumor. there, it, there was a yeah. very bad pressure inside of my ears and it was consistent and it didn't go away. And I was not sick. I hadn't been on an airplane. I, I, I didn't, there was no, <laughs> the there was nothing. Such there was a good analogy. Just, yeah, there was nothing. I mean, we really just went through all of the possibilities. Um, and then finally one day I lost it because I was dizzy and I didn't know what was wrong with me. I felt terrible. I went to the doctor. I didn't have an appointment or anything. I walked into her into her office. I was in the um, like in the waiting room of her office, and I just broke down into a full-on panic attack. And I said, "You have to help me." I said, "I think I have a brain tumor, and I think I'm dying. Nobody will help me. I need you to help me." Uh, you know, that's that's where we were at. Like we were at. A, this was this was not good. So she was like, okay, fine. And they, she ordered me an emergency brain scan. So we, I did a CT scan that day, like emergency. And it came back with nothing. Absolutely nothing. Dude, Fast that's... forward, like. Well, no, because yeah, I'm, I'm putting it was, myself. It was awful. I think a lot of people have felt that air pressure when you're on the airplane. Yeah. And then it goes away, whatever, you chew some gum, you yawn, your ears crack a little bit, and you're yeah. like, yeah, I'm good. Or maybe it lasts, like, you go swimming, there's some water in your ear, and you feel pressure yeah. build up, and you're constantly smacking your ear, trying to cup it and, like, plunger it out. Yeah. I couldn't imagine feeling that way for days, and the anxiety it would bring in me about the tumor and the pressure. So, like, it's completely yeah. understandable to want to get that shit checked out. And then all of a sudden there's no tumor. And to me, that would be no relief. I'd be like, there well, has to be a fucking tumor. There was no, Slice there was, my brain open and take well, it out. There was a little bit of relief. There was a little bit of relief because there was like, okay, we have the big, we have the big stuff out of the way. So there's no tumor. There's no MS. There's no, 
there's nothing there's nothing going on in here so like it's at the time i i felt relieved like okay whatever this is it's going to be fixable and it's okay like we're going to figure it out but um things went from there to way worse so that was in the beginning of december that was the yeah that was in the beginning of December of 2019. And then fast forward to January 5th of 2020, I was <laughs> still, yeah, I was still having um, like dizziness. I still felt dizzy, like, but it wasn't bad at that point. Were you but treating day, it in any way? What? Were you treating huh? it? So that's like a basically a year and a half, right? Two years? No, that from 20, from December, the, the December, 2019 to January 5th of 2020 is only like six weeks. Oh, I'm sorry. I, f I heard 2020. Just, gotcha. No, no, 2021. no. It, okay. Just like a couple, just like a little over a month at that point, five yeah. weeks, whatever. Bad um, um, what was I doing to treat it? Nothing. There was nothing to do. Like I was taking air sick medicine called meclizine which is sort of like the first line of defense of what they give people who are dizzy mm. it's actually nothing it's it's just an antihistamine so it doesn't help oh. it, it with nausea medication so it doesn't really do anything um but that day on january 5th i was in my house and i was totally fine everything was good and then i got up and i was standing at the washer in my house and i collapsed with unbelievable vertigo like true vertigo where i felt like i was spinning the room was spinning everything went out of control and i couldn't get up i began vomiting immediately i mean like i couldn't keep anything down and i called my husband on the phone and i said to him i said you have to come to the house right now like I can't get up off the floor. Like you have to come. And the ambulance came and got me. Um, we went to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, I didn't know where I was. Um, I didn't know what city I was in. I didn't know what, I, I kind of knew what was going on, but I, at that point, like I was so out of it. And Do you remember they did where you were so n not that when i ask where you were as in clearly you just said you didn't know what city you were in but like where was your focus what was going through do you remember what was going through your mind no not at all so like kind of like a black like a cognitive blackout where you're awake total but you're not total total cognitive blackout complete complete utter like just gone that's some scary shit man because if you had the awareness to call for help and then lose mm -hmm. the awareness of basics like location. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I, like, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know what, where, like, I didn't know what city I was in. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I, it was a mystery to me. So I had to ask, I had to ask the people, like the nurses, I had to ask them where I was when I started to realize I was in the hospital. Like I had to ask them where, like, and they were like, oh, you're in Charleston, South Carolina. And I was like, what hospital? And they told me, I was like, oh, so I'm only like a few blocks from my house. Mm. They're like, yes. So at the hospital, they did all these tests on me to make sure that I didn't have a stroke, that I, you know, that I wasn't having a heart attack. Because that's what I thought. 
um, that maybe I had had a stroke or a heart attack or something, you know, really bad, like the big, big stuff had happened, aneurysm, anything. They did all these tests and everything, and they came back a few hours later, and they're like, you're totally fine. Dude, that is... I said, what do you mean I'm totally fine? I can't walk. And they were like, oh, well, we're going to get you up, and you're going to start walking now. I was like, I can't get up. Like, I can't stand up without being so badly dizzy. So they discharged me, and I went home. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? What the fuck am I going to do? Like, this is like how, like, what's going to happen to me? So I immediately started asking friends, you know, this is Charleston, South Carolina. This isn't like a medical hub by any means. So I was very scared that I wasn't going to be able to find somebody to help me. So I called Johns Hopkins Hospital this is at the beginning of COVID. So this yeah, is like about January. To say, like January. So February's when shit gets real in March is when like shit shuts down. It starts happening. So I called Johns Hopkins and I said, you have to help me. I said, my father, my father was treated for Alzheimer's disease at Johns Hopkins. I was Ooh. like, you guys know my family. Like this whole, like you have to take me. So you have to take me. Can we, you know, Talk about that for a minute, because I've thought of this with my grandmother and my own mother. And mm -hmm. it's, I'm actually seeing a lawyer next Monday to figure out like estate shit. Because what I've dealt with with my mother and her like cognitive decline and what I saw with mm -hmm. my grandmother, I realized like once it's too late, you'll never realize it's too late. But yeah. I'm 41 and I feel like I've got at least 20 years in front of me. So I'm wondering for you, yep. that's exceptionally young. Did you feel the dementia Alzheimer's thing at all? Was that fucking with you? Or were you just trying to use that as a like relationship in to get to the hospital? A relationship in because he's not my biological father. Okay. So I didn't, but the thing is, is I did think for a second is this cognitive, like, what is that? Like, could this be something like yeah, that? Yeah, like something people don't know. Do I have early onset? Like, can early onset be yeah. this early? Sure. No, you, it can happen. It can. And I thought, I, it, I did think of that. And I thought, oh, my God. Like, you know. So I called them and they said, and thankfully they said to me, actually, you have a specialist where you live. And I said, are you kidding me? I was like... <laughs> Like, is this going to be even like worth it? So I, you know, but they said, you know, go to an ENT, like try to get, like, try to rule out some of these other diseases. Like there's something called Meniere's disease, which is build up of flu, which is, you know, build up a fluid in the ear. And that can be more episodic and not chronic like mine. Hmm. So I went to the, e I went to an ENT where I lived and in Charleston and he, they did all this stuff to me. They did a hearing test. They did, you know, they tested all this stuff going on with my ears. And they said, the, finally they came back and they said, guess what? Actually, your hearing is above age range. So your hearing is like better than perfect. I said, what? Like, how is everything fine? But the doctor finally, he said, I know what's wrong with you. 
I said, well, let's go. <laughs> What's, what is this? He said, you have vestibular migraine. And I said, what is that? I said, I don't have a headache. I'm dizzy. He said, well, here's the thing. You can have migraine, but migraine isn't defined by having a headache. And migraine isn't defined by head pain. You can have migraine and never experience headache. And the symptoms can be chronic and, and or permanent where they never go away. And I thought, this is crazy. I've never in my life heard of this. And he said, well, this is what it is. He said, we'll get you in with a specialist. He said, I don't know how to treat it. I know how to diagnose it. I know how to, how to look at it. But um, he said, I can go ahead and try to, to, to treat it for you if you want. I said, yeah, like, this is terrible. You know, like, let's, let's <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, like, I want some is, relief. I couldn't leave my, I couldn't, I couldn't walk down the stairs in my house. I couldn't walk my dogs. I couldn't do anything. I mean, I was a total, I was gone at that point, gone. Can and, I pause you? Yeah. Did the doctor yeah. um, tell you what symptoms he saw or how did he figure out the diagnosis? He figured it out because I said that I was having a buzzing in the back of my head. I felt like there was a pressure in the back of my head. And he connected the dots between being constantly dizzy with no presence of um, tumor, lesions on the brain, perfect hearing, no, um, no fluid in the ear canal. Um, so he was able to connect all that and tell me what, what the issue was. And, and I was so lucky because not many doctors would, would know. So I was very lucky. I mean, extremely lucky because people go years. Did he just happen decades. to like read an article on it or why was he even thinking about that? <laughs> because he had seen people before that had had a similar set of symptoms from me with the absence of tumor, MS, hearing, you know, hearing after decline. after the tumor, you go to um, the ear guy and then the ear guy checks you out. So it's kind of his thing to be like, hey, if all this stuff is empty, this is what it could be. Yes. Yes. That, that is, that is how he, how, he, and that's what he was thinking. You know, I was so lucky because there's people who suffer with this that go a very long time without knowing what's going on. There's also a disease called BPPV, which is where the crystals in your ears become dislodged and they go into your the canal of your ear. Mm -hmm. And that can cause a lot of dizzy, you know, dizzy things. But there's treatment for that where they put your head backwards. It, you know, it's called the epilay maneuver. They put your head backwards. They put the crystal back into place and then they sit you back up and your dizziness is gone. Hmm. So the fact that, that the, the maneuver did not work on me and I was still having dizziness told him, okay, it's not, it's not any of these things. So this is the direction that we're going to go Dude, in. That, that, that's something I hadn't thought about. Like how much treatment did you go through to rule out things? Like I'd heard, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to get this scan. Hey, I'm going to get this x-ray but like how much the fact that you got leaned back to get a crystal re-centered in your ear how many mm -hmm. different weird things did you have to go through to rule out other diseases 
a ton because even after my diagnosis, we had to rule out other, we had to rule out other stuff that could be a problem because see, he, he didn't know how to treat it. And this is an old, old Southern guy. And he, I mean, the guy was wearing a bow tie, you know, he had a, like a little Love Colonel that. Sanders bow tie on Charles and he wears Sanders. one every single day. And he didn't know how to treat it. So he had this little black book from, I don't know what decade. And he opened this little book and he's going through lists and lists of all these medications. He's like, okay, here's the one that we're going to try. <laughs> yeah, no, and, this isn't a joke. This is, and like, that's a this, specialist, a specialist. No, that was, that was just the ENT. Who oh, said, that, I know what this is. I don't treat it, you to it, but it's going to take you a minute to get into a specialist. He said, but we're going to go ahead and try. So that was the pre John Hopkins guy. Um, no, this was a guy in Charleston, just a regular ENT. Yeah, yeah. But when but you, I'm sorry, just but, for me to be clear in my head. So then you get this from the Bowtie doc, you contact John Hopkins and then John Hopkins sends you to somebody or you had already contacted John Hopkins. That's how you got to the Bowtie doc. I contacted, I contacted Johns Hopkins. They told me to go to a regular ENT first. And that was the Bowtie To get doc. a referral to go to specialist in my area because they without seeing me johns hopkins would not refer me to the guy so they're like you got to go see somebody so just try you need to get your hearing tested like you know these are the things that you need to do so go ahead and go ahead and do that and then you can you know try to get in with the specialist so the guy said it's going to take you a while to get in with the specialist because he's got a really long waiting list um and a very long golf itinerary no, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah, just... <laughs> no, no, he's actually, he's actually really good. And so I called, you know, they made the referral, they called me, they made the appointment and the appointment was for, uh, March 20, March 20th of 2020. So okay. of course my appointment got canceled because right. of COVID Yeah, and it took me seven months from there to get in with the specialist who finally confirmed my diagnosis and then gave me my other diagnosis of triple PD. So it was a long seven months to say the least. Thank God you got that like, Trump check or wait, was that in time for the Trump check? <laughs> the Trump check. Yeah. I mean, at that, at that point it was just like, you know, I, I, I couldn't do, I couldn't do anything. And when I say that my life was so debilitated, it was, I was so sick beyond belief. Like it, it was shocking how sick I was to the point where I could, people didn't believe me because I looked okay, but inside I couldn't do anything. I couldn't shower in the house without somebody else present in case I fell. I couldn't shave my legs in the shower without sitting down, I couldn't, I, I had to, you know, I couldn't do anything. I could do nothing. I couldn't walk my dogs. I couldn't cook. I couldn't clean. I couldn't go to work. I could barely watch the television without absolutely tripping out. I, I could do nothing. I could lay in bed for months and listen to podcasts without earbuds because the vibration from earbuds aggravated my ear canals. Like it was crazy. It, it was crazy. Yeah. It, and I'm wondering why be so resistant to the anxiety or depression 
diagnosis. Like you didn't because, take some like because whatever the medication I forget what what it is Zantec. No, that's an allergy thing. That um, they gave me meclizine at first. Meclizine is just the first line of defense. What every what every doctor gives dizzy people. No, I'm thinking um, of like antidepressant. I couldn't think of like oh, the standardized antidepressant. Hey, here's your antidepressant Tic Tac. Take this, you'll feel better. Because I knew it was more than that. I knew it was, I knew that that was not the way, but so, that being said, I did end up, I did end up taking an antidepressant. I took something called nortriptyline, which is very common for people who have any type of migraine disease and dizziness. And then I ended up taking a blood pressure medication that is used off label for migraine patients called propranolol. It's a beta blocker. Um, and beta blockers are used off-label for anxiety and a lot of things. So I did end up taking the anxiety medication, but I needed I needed people to believe my symptoms instead of writing me off as anxiety. And I needed to try to figure out the root cause of this and what was happening to me before we just gave me a pill and said, okay, go home and get better. And they weren't yeah. helping you? Because you're looking uh, no, at like I mean, a two two month span, right? Where you're coping with yeah. this or dealing with this. I mean, they no, they weren't really helping. Some guy gave one doctor gave me CBD oil, which I could have drank the whole bottle and it would have done nothing. Um, <laughs> they, they, you know, the medical system is so broken that doctors spend so little time with patients now mm. that. Anytime they can write something off and give a pill and say, good luck, they're going to do that without having to investigate further. But I had to really, really advocate for myself and say, hey, no, we're not doing that. Somebody has to figure out what's wrong with me because nothing was helping. They were giving me drugs and I was taking them and nothing was nothing was taking it away. And I couldn't understand why. And it wasn't until I finally saw the specialist seven months after my initial diagnosis that I understood this isn't going to go away the way that I think it is. So what I started thinking was two things. One, you're absolutely correct about our medical system being for profit and doctors just fucking burning and churning through patients. It's... Uh if. Anybody's ever experienced it? It's one of the weirdest fucking feelings where you're sitting with a professional who's supposed to help you, and you can mm-hmm. obviously see they can't wait to get done to just get yeah. to the next client. It's like a fucking overwhelmed butcher. That's like order yes. number 31. Who's got 32? Mm-hmm. How many pounds? Yeah. Um, but the second thing I started thinking was are you rushing this? And is this what the doctors are thinking? Are you rushing getting well where you're not letting the treatments help you for long enough? Like, oh, we need you to get six straight months of or six straight weeks of blank. Okay, that didn't work. Let's go with eight straight weeks of blank. Mm-hmm. Did that I conversation did that. ever come up? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. A lot. A lot. A lot. Gotcha. I mean, I went through different medications. Um. I went through a lot and I would give everything a fair chance before I was like, nope, this isn't it. Except for the the CBD. 
And the thing no, is, is I always, this is what I tell doctors now, like after working with the people from Harvard and working with the people from Mayo Clinic and Johns Hopkins and these other places, putting these reports together, I've said, you will never know what it's like to live in my body for five minutes. Mm. I don't care if you went to school for 15 years, yeah. you will never understand what I understand about myself. You will never, you will never get it. I don't care how much research you've done, how many, how many boards you've sat on, how many incredible teaching institutions that you have gone through. It will never replace the fact that I will always know more than you because I live like this every single day. You live like this. You live doing research eight hours a day. And that, that's really what it, it, it has had to come down to for me. It's interesting because my specialist in Charleston, South Carolina, actually has vestibular migraine himself. No shit. So, Is yes. that why he's a specialist in it? No. Or... It actually, it actually, so he's from Lebanon. He's Lebanese and so is my husband. So that was like something good for us to connect on. He I, might you know, give you an extra like, five you, minutes. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, no, he spends 45 minutes with every patient initially. Dude. So that was the thing that yeah. told me that this, this is going to be, this is going to be what helps to get me to the next level. Gotcha. So, um, he, he came to the United States and he actually was in Delaware. One of the best doctors in the country for vestibular disorders. Yeah. Is in Wilmington, Delaware. At AI DuPont. And, Cause apparently AI DuPont, if that's the hospital is like one of the nope. creme de la creme. What's he the hospital? A, he's a private clinic. Oh, he has a private clinic now and he sees people from all over that have vestibular, you know, that have chronic dizziness and the various, the various things that come along with that. So some people that do have chronic dizziness can have tumors and things on their ears Mm. and on their ear canals. And he will do head surgery for these kinds of things. So I I should have asked not to cut off your story, but to, I guess, cut off your story, but you keep pointing to the ears and talking about the ears. And I guess that does make sense, right? Like your balance Mm -hmm. is completely based on for some reason, which I don't understand it. You're hearing in your ears, which makes no sense to me, but that's why you had to keep going to all these ear people because anytime there's some sort of balance issue, it's just standard. It must be an ear thing. Yes. So the doctor that I see is called an otoneurologist. So that's basically like a, um, an ENT. So an ear, nose and throat doctor who has a specialty also in neurology. So they can treat these diseases that are neurological, but also central, um, in your Years. So and your that, brain, you know, some sort of circuits fucked up in your brain that then trans or like the charge doesn't get to your ear, which makes correct. you disoriented. So your balance is your eyes, your ears, your brain, and your legs. Okay. So those, those areas of my brain have gone haywire. So they're not adding up. Hmm. And that's, that's where your brain becomes what they call maladaptive 
to the dizziness. So my brain is totally adapted to the dizziness. So these, my center of balance is totally messed up. Even though everything in my ears is fine, there's no, there's nothing physically wrong except for these things just aren't adding up. So it is. And then they scan the brain and they scan the brain and there's like, Hey, there's no charge or neuron link issue. So then no. you're like, all right, we eliminated that. We eliminated the ear thing. Now mm-hmm. we start going to what's more specific. Yes. Gotcha. And so that's whenever, so from seeing my specialist in Charleston, you know, we kind we came up with a treatment plan of um, cognitive behavior therapy. So helping, you know, helping me get past the anxiety and the panic And it's not like therapy where we're going to like talk about, you know, my alcoholic mother and my (laughs) traumatic childhood. It's more like, okay, these are the symptoms that you have. How are we going to help you move past that? It's not like a PT thing when, hey, you're experiencing dizziness. Let me help you to recenter yourself with these physical That was the next thing. Yeah. Okay. That was the next thing was physical therapy. Um, changing my diet was a big thing because there's things that you can eat that can cause responses within the brain um, and that really like affect your gut health and stuff. Oh, um, do you mind sharing they, a little bit of that? Because that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought diet would affect this at all. Oh, big time. No, diet really? Diet is, is the first line of defense. And diet, actually, diet alone can really help a lot of people. Huh. So the the combination of taking certain supplements like magnesium, potassium, vitamin D, um, sodium, increasing sodium, depending on as long as you don't have Meniere's disease, those things can really immensely help a person almost without medication, Hmm. like to the point where they can have little to no symptoms. And it's not for everybody, but for some people it does help. So there is a woman, her name is Alicia. She lives in Texas. She has the same thing that I have, the chronic vestibular migraine with the triple PD. And she actually um, is referred to as the dizzy cook because she made a cookbook. <laughs> yeah, she, she made a cookbook of um, she made a, a cookbook of recipes for people who are dizzy. So huh. it's about eliminating tr- the common trigger foods. You know, there's a bunch of them. So, like, you quit drinking alcohol, caffeine. You take out any t- fermented products. You take out any, um, you know, citrus is a big one. Chocolate's another one. Um, there's a, there's a bunch. You know, if you want to link it, you can. But there's like a ton, there's a ton of different Dude, that things that you like can do. A terrible diet. You named like four of my is, favorite is things. Are, sure it's no and it's awful it's awful but if you are if you have lost your job lost your ability to drive perspective lost your ability to walk out the front door alone shave your legs in the shower i mean you lost your ability to like i couldn't blow dry my hair like i couldn't do anything when you've lost your ability to have any independence in your life and you've completely become a burden on all of your loved ones yeah. give up chocolate you will, yeah. you'll do it you'll be like okay i'm not going to drink alcohol for the rest of my life okay here we are no biggie like for me 
it was a no-brainer to go down that route and to really, really figure out the things that were making me more sick. How'd you get connected with the Dizzy Cook in Texas? So um, the initial doctor, the ENT that diagnosed me, the man with the bow tie and the little <laughs> black book, he looked at me and he... Cast, I wish I was like a character caricature artist so I could like sketch him out as you're telling me about him because yeah. he just seems awesome. <laughs> His name is Dr. Brown. He's like the sweetest guy. Um, but he, he, well, the day that he diagnosed me and he could see that I was suffering beyond comprehension or belief, he looked at me and he said, this is going to be a really, really hard road for you. He said, this is going to be rough. He said, you need to find some people that have this so you can start talking to them Find and you tribe. can start. Yeah. So that day that he diagnosed me, I came home and I went onto YouTube and I just put in vestibular migraine to see what came up. And all these videos of all these women all over the world came up hmm. and I found the dizzy cook on, um, I can't remember where I found her on YouTube or something, but I found these people and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, these people know what I'm talking about. Because it was like, for me to be able to have another person to relate to at that time yeah. was like, I mean, I broke down, like, I mean, I broke down crying because I was like, oh my God, there's other people. Yeah. Like, there's um, other people. I'm fortunate you know? enough that I haven't had to figure out what's wrong with me other than people tell me like, dude, you're a little bit of a dick, you know, when I get too <laughs> sarcastic, <laughs> but like that's, that's yeah, right. That's very easily to, that's very easy to, um, just diagnose, but I've heard stories of people who had unique diseases yes. and the relief they feel when you can just fucking label it. And the fact that yes. you were able to like Google or YouTube and all of a sudden uh -huh. you, that's why I brought up tribe. Like, <gasps> Who's figured out what? Now I know what to search so I can make a plan versus yeah. I'm just fucking floating in space. Yeah. Like I hear that's the watershed moment. And like that's the life-changing that moment when you can label something. It, that was that was such a turning point for me that I thought, okay, I'm going to be okay. Right. So I immediately, when I, I found all these people on YouTube, I was like, I need I need to talk to them. Like I need to actually physically figure out how I'm going to call these people on the phone or talk to them some way or another. So I made my Instagram account specifically to find these people so I could send them DMs to be like, what in the actual fuck is wrong with me? Can you please help me? Like, please tell me what to do. And that's how I ended up finding the Dizzy Cook was through YouTube and through um, through going on Instagram. And I made, you know, I made these these usernames so people would see what I see that I wasn't like a troll or like that I was actually like a person going through this. And I'm and sorry, so I called you Etta, but like your Instagram name, the Dizzy Diva. Now that's making yeah. sense. So. So yeah, that was to tell people, hey, I'm dizzy. Can you please fucking help me because I'm suffering here? So I started sending messages to these people and they started writing me back. 
and they started adding me as like a friend and like we started they started telling me like what to do and how to like get through this and I can wholeheartedly tell you like these are the people that saved my life and social media is a scary place and can be a terrible place because there's so many like nasty people and just it can be really dark and ugly but these people were the people that were like you're not going to jump off the bridge you're going to get through this and I promise you you're going to get better and I didn't believe them but I stuck with it and they got me through it who was the first relationship I'm curious who you connected with first that helped you to like build the momentum towards healing so there was there's a woman named um her name is M and she goes by the vestibular warrior and Ooh. she has a ton yeah she has a ton of youtube videos where and her and I have actually done youtube videos together now and she has a bunch of youtube videos that she has done she's done podcasts she wrote two books about this um And she was the first person that I saw like a video of where she was explaining the symptoms that she was going through. And I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, like I need to find, I need to find her. Like I have to figure out how to get her phone number, like something like somebody needs to tell me how to like get a hold of this woman. And she was my motivation of, making an Instagram account and going out and actively trying to search for people. And cause she was like, okay, these are all the, she's like, okay, like there's a ton of other people that you need to follow. And like, you need to just send the messages and like, they will help you. And, and they're, they're going to point you in the right direction. So is the help strictly dietary or is the help also like oh, finding no. networks of physicians that can medicate you or give you like exercises or breathing Mm -hmm. techniques? Like what's the, what's the help? So the help is different for everybody. And I know anybody. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be like an ass by saying like, no, 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 because that I was the same, because I was the same way. I was like, give me the fucking pill. that's going to (laughs) take this away and we're just going to move on. And it was like, well, that's not really how this works. You know, you're going to have to like do a lot of things. So for me to get better, it had to be a total lifestyle change. I had to change everything about my life because my life was, was different and my life will never be the same again. And that's okay. That's okay. We're, we're okay with that because I think a change needed to happen, but For me, I had to completely change my lifestyle. I had to get rid of all the toxic people in my life. I don't care if you gave birth to me. I don't care if we're blood related. If you are toxic, you got to go and you're not coming back, period. Um, Just to stay there for a second, doesn't that go to the anxiety aspect of like psychology playing some sort of part in triggering this feeling? Yes, yes. This is where the this is where the symptoms and the anxiety go hand in hand. Where I gotta lower the stress in my life, so I have to be very cognizant and I have to be very careful about who I let into my life. So I had to get rid of toxic people in my life. That was it. Gotta go. And not to like 
shit on them or make anybody feel bad, but I'm curious no. about decision-making because I've wondered about this myself. Like, sure. what's the toxic cutoff? Do I give you a survey? Do I take a survey about how you make me feel? How do I determine? Yeah. Did somebody tell you this is how you know if someone is toxic in your life? Or did you just come to your own realizations about like, I give you too much rent in my mind. And you know what? I'm fucking done with you. There's that, but there's also of, is this a one-sided relationship? Uh, you know, like, do I care a lot more about you than you care about me? And what was very telling were the people that were reaching out to me that uh, knew that I was very sick and that were reaching out and that we're taking the time to make sense of it all and not just sort of ignore, like pretend like it wasn't happening or that it, it didn't exist. So if, you know, if people weren't reaching out, that's it. Like we have nothing to talk about, you know, like my life is totally different. I, you know, we can't pretend like this doesn't exist. I have to address it. And if I haven't talked to you in three years and now you're like coming back, like, no, we're not doing that. You know, like, what do you, you mean? can't ask how, like, coming you know, back I'll, after because I, years. so like I moved to Las Vegas, for instance, recently, like, at the end of last year. And I've had some family members like reach out wanting to come here to like go to shows. Cause my husband is a sound engineer and he's like, you know, he's got some connections to some big, bigger people out here and they would like to take advantage of that, you know, like be able to come and like stay and like see some shows and do something. But no, because you haven't called me in three years, so we're not we're not doing that. And and that would you know, just I feel add, like I'm sorry, I should have let you keep going, but I'm just curious. No. Like that, it's, it feels like a pressure. Because when you were talking about that buzzing in the back of your head, what I started thinking about is people asking you for things, but then feeling it's disingenuous towards you. Really don't care about me. You care about what I can give you. And yeah. like in my head, I feel like the pressure measure or the meter of like at a zero at your neck. And now it's at like a 60 and it's a 70 above your ears. Yes. And you know, like, so I'm wondering if that you get those kind of messages and if you can feel the pressure building in your head, which would lead to your symptoms. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any type of, any type of major stress will, will do that to me and will definitely like raise the pressure and start, you know, giving me these, you know, the dizziness will increase, the pressure will increase, I'll start sweating, I'll maybe feel a heart palpitation, you know, things start to happen. And it is a stress response. It, it, it is, you know, yeah, dude, my nervous system is going crazy. I guess I've never had a relationship or connections where people wanted to get something through me. So it's hard for me to relate. <laughs> I've I heard mean, of people that have connections. It's like, oh, you're the maitre d' somewhere. So you always get an extra ticket. Hey, do you mind? We want to go to a nice sunny place. We're spending the weekend. Can we crash on your couch? Like, yeah, I've never been I mean, in that position. But that does I kind mean, of suck if it comes and then like, they didn't check on you when you were sick or it's like, Hey, how you feeling today? Doing all right, kid. You need anything? Yeah. Like just the balance. But, yeah. Yeah. And then there's people who just want to party with you. And if you're not able to do that, like, oh, yeah. then, you know, like things like that, that you just don't, you're like, I, I don't have time 
for this. Like, you know, because I'm not able to do the things that I once was able to do and you don't want to be a part of my life right now, that that's, I'm not inviting you back into my life, you know? And that's, you know, that's hard. That's hard to do because you care about people, but also like you have to think about what's going to be the best for you. And to really change your lifestyle, you have to change a lot of things around, around you. So, you know, getting rid of the toxic people was one of them. Addressing my diet was another one. The medication that I was taking was another thing that I did. Physical therapy, you know, learning how to move and exercises that were going to help alleviate some of the symptoms over time. That was very important. We just get into the specifics of just because the medication, then physical therapy. Were there what medication because you had listed and I'm. I'm not good enough to remember what you listed before sure. that you were like, it didn't work, but I'm curious yeah. what you wound up getting that helped. So I ended up taking a medication called nortriptyline, which is a very, very old fashioned um, antidepressant. It was like one of the first antidepressants on the market. It's actually not an SSRI or SNRI. It is what they call a tricyclic um, antidepressant. I'm sorry. I'm and, lost. Yeah, I don't S- know what that and... means either. Gotcha. To be honest <laughs> with you. Um, but it you should have just made something up to be like, Oh, I, well, I, you know, to be honest, you're with honest. You, it's, no, these are, you're honest, man. You're very they're, nice. They're, you're very forthcoming. Yeah. So there was that. And then I took another medication called propranolol, which is a beta blocker. So Basically, it lowers your blood pressure and it stops the physical symptoms of anxiety. And blood pressure, I'm sorry, but like blood pressure is just literally like your heart rate kind of stuff, right? Like blood pressure is Mm -hmm. measured beats per minute. So basically you have a, and I don't know what the antidepressant blocks, but if you're lowering your heart rate and Uh the antidepressants, do you know what that actually did to you? So- well, yes. So the blood pressure medication, it does lower your heart rate. My heart rate was really high. Like, I mean, resting heart rate was like 101. Stop. So obviously, yeah. 101? No, it was. I don't, and we don't know why. We don't know why. Dude, um, you might have a hole in your heart. That's why. I don't. Like, it sounds, no, but like, that's what it <laughs> sounds like. Like, uh-huh. it shouldn't, 101's like a low level fat burning bike ride uh-huh. type level. Like that's high for resting. Yeah, it was, it wasn't good. And then, so the propanolol, it, it slows your heart rate down and it blocks the physical symptoms of the anxiety. So it, it helps to regulate your nervous system. Hmm. So you're not, you're not in a state of fight or flight. It helps you to relax. It helps you to come out. It helps you to come out of that because being dizzy is very, very scary. And it does feel like you're stuck in flight or flight because you are, you're stuck, you know, and it helps you. It doesn't take away everything, but it helps you enough so you can start to help yourself. And I think that's the biggest message to people is you cannot take medication and sit around and wait for it to work when you have this kind of thing because it doesn't work like that. You have to take, you will take medication 
to be able to help yourself get to where you need to be. So I had to do the things necessary to make myself better, which was addressing my diet, addressing, you know, the people in my life and the stress that I had. Um, stop. I had to stop working. I had to stop driving. I had to, I had to change everything. I had to change everything. It's like going from one day to the next and saying, okay, I'm a different person now. So I have to operate as a different person. You know, I will never be the same again. And that's okay. It's just different. It's a different person had to than stop I once was. Working? Mm-hmm. Because getting somewhere at a certain time, you couldn't like you couldn't meet that deadline or I couldn't stand up. Even with the I medication and the change in diet and all that. Uh-huh. It took time. It's it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Gotcha. So Even with all it's not that you take medication and you change your diet in the next yeah, week right. you're yeah. okay no it, ta- it takes a year or longer yeah so you're to, to change things so you're hoping to get back to normal with these interventions yes and i have like so right now i am good one of the things that i did was i rehabilitated my neck i was having severe neck pain which is a very common, which is a very common thing in any t- any type of migraine. So whether you're having what's called silent migraine, which is migraine without the head pain, um, and you just feel the pressure and you feel the neurological symptoms, and it's also very common in people who are dizzy, where they feel like they have neck problems. There's a lot of explanations of why. I didn't care about any of those explanations. I just knew that I had neck pain and I had to do something about it. And I felt like if I addressed that, then I would um, start to feel better. So I went to a place called the Texas Migraine Clinic. I didn't actually go there. It's a doctor who treats you all online. And he helped me learn how to rehabilitate my neck. Hmm. And once I rehabilitated my neck, things got a lot a lot better share and some secrets I, man like yeah, about rehabilitate how do you rehabilitate your neck so he taught me different exercises and different movements to do and it was grueling i had to do them for i had to do them every four hours for months every four hours every day like for months. stretches you're putting weights <laughs> like i'm picturing like one of those caps that have chains coming no, down no, and then all of a no. sudden it's a barbell and you're like one, two, or is it just yeah, like you no, move your no, shoulder no, a certain no, way and you're like self chiropracting? What are the exercises? Kind of like, tra- kind of like self chiropracting. Um, so we would do like, I would lay on the floor and I would hold my neck in this position and okay. then I would stop and I would go back. So your fingers <laughs> pushing your chin forward and then to just elongate yeah. and then you release it. Uh huh. And then I would go back to doing it. I would hold it. And then I would go back and then we would do like, like tucking my chin in where we would bring like, so fist into your throat and then bring your chin down. Yeah. And like that would, that would help to bring the vertebrae back into place. Cause you know, there was definitely something out of place. Um, Man, it, and so those were some of the exercises. Oh, we did stretches. We did neck stretches where we would hold behind the ears and then look up and we would stretch. 
and he would he taught me how to do all of this so like while i'm doing this i'm looking for i'm looking for certain symptoms and i'm tracking those symptoms and i'm doing these exercises to get rid of them to help them go away and um i would always track and i would do this i did this grueling every four hours except for when i was sleeping for months months and months and months i just did all this what are the um, symptoms you're looking for while you're doing this like are you looking like hey if i put my fingers behind my ears and extend my neck and i pull, apply some pressure i'm gonna feel dizzier less dizzy like that kind of so thing? i would say like so for instance if i did if i did that movement i would be like where am i feeling anything right now like even if it's just the slightest sensation okay so sometimes i would have like a sensation along my eyebrows here <laughs> so then i would i would hard. stretch and i would be like okay hold it and then i would go back and be like okay so where is it now and then sometimes it would move and it it's very very specific and it's it takes a lot of time for him to teach you how to do this and what to look for and do you feel do you feel anything in certain parts of your head or your face or even in your back and when you start to realize what's going on and you can feel for those specific symptoms and you can track that as you're doing the exercise and you just keep tracking it and keep tracking it and keep tracking it and you're doing it and you're doing it over and over and over again and you're constantly doing it all day every day it helps to strengthen the neck in the area that it needs to so if that's the best way to explain it no yeah definitely <laughs> and w what i'm thinking of is what you're doing is exploring a range of motion or you're trying to expand your range of motion to be able yep. to live or not trigger feelings that make you uncomfortable yeah. or make you dizzy. Yes. So yes. then if you stretch and you feel that tinge in your um, eyebrows, you're like, mm -hmm. that typically could make me dizzy and you're trying to work through it in order to yes. like release pressure or pain mm -hmm. or toxins mm -hmm. or whatever the fuck it is that's causing the symptom. The release. Yeah. The release. You're, learning, you, you're trying did, to release that. Did you ever do yeah. acupuncture? Did you ever have a I bunch did, of people do fucking put I needles did in you? I did meditation. I did it all. I did it all. Everything that could possibly done, be done. I've done it. Acupuncture did nothing for you. Well, it does a little bit, but it's temporary. It's not, you have to keep going back. You have to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. And that's why I chose like this guy from the Texas Migraine Clinic was because he taught me how to do these things so I could heal myself. And I wouldn't have to keep, I wouldn't have to rely on, you know, keeping, having to go to a chiropractor or having to go someplace to like get fixed. He was teaching me how to do this for myself. And that was what was important. So is it to the point where you can feel like a spell coming on and you clap your fingers together, get in prayer mode, and then you shove it <laughs> in your chin and you push back and you know how to relieve the pressure that's coming up that will lead to the feeling of dizziness? So at the time, yes, I could do that. Now I don't have to do that anymore. 
really? I don't I don't I don't have to do that anymore. Dude, no. that's awesome. Occasionally I will. Um, but not often, not as often. I don't, I don't do it every four hours a day anymore. Well, yeah. And I don't, and I don't even do the exercises every day. But if I do feel bad, like I had COVID and I felt really bad and my symptoms went really, really bad. And I, I basically started over again. Like I did all of my exercises and I knew what to look for and I knew what to do. So it's, it's funny you bring up like, COVID and doing the exercises because the older I get and the more I'm doing this stupid 240 mile bike ride in five days. Cause I want some free t-shirts and there is a guy I've had on the pod that I was talking shit to and whatever. It's a long story. Basically if I can ride 60 miles in the next two days, I get three free pieces of gear and I'm super excited. But okay. <laughs> what that's led to in my life is like the value of stretching. And I really believe, mm-hmm. man, there's something about fucking stretching where these toxins build up. And like, yes. if you just stretch, somehow the body, whether it dilutes it, whether you like piss it out, whatever happens, man, whether you burp it out, whatever, like the, the body does to get bad out because the body wants to be healthy. You have to go from that premise, right? Like you're an organism, you want to live. Yes. I'm an organism, yes. I want to live. My body is fighting <laughs> to make me functional and live as is yours. So if you it's have a something- It's self-healing device. Yeah, that's something that's debilitating. You almost want to go from the fact that your body wants to reject this. And the stretching and the, the yogis I've spoken to, that the fact that okay. they speak about breathing and stretching, you're like- there's a lot to that, man, where you just breathe through the discomfort and somehow those toxins that build up within your, I don't even know, muscles, blood, fibers, sure. get, get out. And that's really it's cool. Inflammation. Yeah, it's really cool that you tried to apply this, that technique to COVID as well to help you get through it, I guess is what I was thinking. Sure. I'm like, that was really no, fucking definitely. smart. So what I did next, you're going to find even more interesting. <laughs> so that was just the tip of the iceberg of what I did. What I did next was um, I really dove deep into what's called neuroplasticity. And so bear with me here. Yeah. Basically, the action of neuroplasticity is rewiring your brain. So you're creating new neural pathways in your brain to help you not notice your symptoms as much as bad anymore. So I did a program called DNRS. It's called the dynamic neural retraining um, system. Yeah. Dynamic neural retraining system. And they teach you how to rewire your brain. So your body can heal. And so you can, basically shut off the symptoms you just you're shutting it off you're you're saying okay no this is not this is not i'm not gonna let this control me anymore i'm stop you know and you're telling your brain stop this isn't you this is a symptom i got this i'm in charge of this you're not in charge of this and so by doing that you're creating new neural pathways because you're always constantly throughout your life creating new neural pathways in your brain hopefully 
And those neural pathways are the ones that become more dominant and that you're relying on those neural pathways more than the, more than the ones that are causing the symptoms. And then the, the, you know, the ones that are causing the symptoms, you're healing that you're actually healing the brain. You're physically changing it and you're physically healing it. And that then in turn affects the rest of your body and it regulates your nervous system. So your nervous system can heal and the rest of you can heal. And the things that I have seen people do from doing this is nothing short of a miracle. I had, um, Stephanie, she was a guest maybe five, 10 pods ago or whatever, but she was a physical therapist. We started talking about like flexibility and she was like the reason when you stretch and you don't trust it, it's not, you don't trust it. It's your Uh nerves. Don't trust it. And if you Uh can convince the nerves that they can bend or they can go or they can extend, you're going to be good. And it, and where does that all start in your brain? Right. So like, when she said that, it sounded so simple, but then if you really think about it, it's like, yeah, you see these contortionists and maybe they have a genetic advantage or whatever, but like how many people don't, when you feel that, ah, they don't like breathe through it and try to like reroute the pain in your mind to some other portion to be like, this is not bad, this is okay. And if you just, fork in the road, bad to okay, I can mm-hmm. get another little bit. So it's really interesting. Yes. And I, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious about like, is there a specific technique type thing? Or is there, I, yeah. I don't even know how to like follow that up other than like, is there a so generic it, way to reroute my brain? You're essentially, you're essentially talking to yourself a lot <laughs> and you're telling your symptoms, no, stop. You stop you're stopping now. Hmm. This is, you are in control of this. And so you're physically saying, so I say, I don't call my, I don't refer to my symptoms by any name. I don't, I don't give them that. I don't give them enough power. I do talk about my symptoms in the way of advocating. So like with you, but in my regular life, I don't talk about like, I, I basically just like, will say to my husband, I'm having an off day, Mm. you know, and he knows that that, okay, she's dizzy. She's going through this. She's going through that. Like, it doesn't matter. It's just, it is, it is what it is. It's just symptoms. And, um, if I'm unable to do something, like I am unable to go out that day because my symptoms are spiking, I'll say, you know, that's not within my training zone right now. You know, I'm not able I'm, I'm not able to do that. I, so my zone is, you know, a little closed in right now and I need this time so I can expand my training zone, you know? So it really comes into how you talk to yourself and the power that you give your symptoms. And that, that was the game. That was like the game changer for me because medication really was only doing so much. And I was at a plateau and I was like, how am I going to really, really, really get my life back? You know, I, I have to live in Las Vegas. There's so much stimulation going around me in Las Vegas. So that can be really hard to be out in public and to be around all the bright lights and to be around all of this stuff. And I was like, I have to figure out how I'm going 
to do this. Like my husband is a sound man. Like I have to be out there, like, you know, really be out there. And, um, this was it, you know, and I'm still doing it. I still practice every single day and I still work at it every single day. And I'm, you know, I, I do exercise, I go out. I am in control of myself now. My symptoms are no longer in control of me. It, and I tell myself that. It sounds like some real David Goggins type shit. Are you familiar Yeah, there's with a lot him? of that. And I really like him. Yeah. You know, Dude, I, I really like him. As I'm reading, oh. as I'm riding those miles, I'm um, listening to his audiobook. Um, and just to throw a little shit on him in case uh, Facebook sends this to him because I mentioned his name. I asked if I could get some free copies. I'm a teacher. I asked someone like, hey, man, I, I work with at-risk kids. Can I get some copies? And they were like, nah, we don't have any copies to give you. But you can buy some copies that are clean. And I was like, oh, dude, that's kind of shitty. You don't have fucking 10 I mean, copies. Yeah. You don't have 10 copies for a teacher. I emailed you from a legitimate. I can give you a fucking tax deduction number if you need it. Can you get... I can't get nothing. I know. But but anyway, I, I understand it's a business me, I too. Know. And, but they're still, yeah. like, these people are still, like, but businesses the message and is corporations. Sound. Yes. And they still have to, you know, they still have to, like, it's try a to survive. It's a profit. Although he's more than surviving. But it's a profit. Oh, I, beyond. I get it. That's what kind of pissed me off. I'm like, all right, dude, you've marketed yourself enough. Can you not just fucking kick back? But anyway, the fact, the thing that I've taken from his book is, like, the power of the mind is so underestimated if you just fucking double down on like, not today, bitch. Not, not today, today, bitch. Not this, today. We're not going to do this it ain't, today. It ain't happening. It ain't happening. And it mm-hmm. sounds like you got a little bit of that in you with this neuroplasticity, which I don't think yeah. I said right. But that's, no, that's kind of, correct. Okay. But that's really fucking cool. And I'm also wondering like, is that coupled with, the physical therapy exercising. So is it like stretching and you're feeling no. these things or are those two separate? Those are two separate things, but, but physical therapy is still neuroplasticity because you're still learning new things and you're still creating those new neural pathways in the brain. So anything is neuro is neuroplasticity. So in my case, I couldn't really walk for a long period of time. You know, like going outside and going for a walk was was not happening. So now going outside and exposing my brain to this and exposing my brain to being outside and to the movement of walking and to doing all that is creating those new neural pathways in the brain. And it's you felt like you lost them. You do. What? Did you feel like you lost them? I'm sure you went for walks before. Yeah, I felt I had completely lost everything really yes yeah that I feel like I had completely lost all of myself and the time from December uh December or no November of 2020 to about January of 2021 was a point in my life where my symptoms were so bad that I had asked my husband to please take me to Switzerland, Washington state, anywhere that you can. So I can take over my life. So what do you mean? Die with dig- they call it dying with dignity. 
So Holy it's assisted shit. suicide. Yeah, I wanted to arrange that. I was I was ready to arrange that. Because, because I was unable to do anything. My symptoms were unrelenting. Every day I woke up to a nightmare of I can't do anything. Like I can't walk down the stairs. Like I can't cook. I can't vacuum the floor. I can't physically lift the vacuum. Like I can't do anything. And I, it was the worst period of my life. I had said to my husband, I said, I'm ready to go. I don't want to be a burden to you. I'm not going to do this. I watched my father have Alzheimer's disease for 10 years. This is terrible. I want out. I want out. And a lot of people do. I know a girl last month who went through with it, you know, who did kill herself because this is, this is so bad. This disease is so bad. There is a doctor in Texas. His name is Dr. Bay and he is a neurologist and he wrote a book called victory over vestibular migraine in the book. He talks about how debilitating vestibular migraine and these dizzy disorders are. And he said the only other disease that he has seen that is as debilitating as a vestibular disorder is full blown ALS. And that's when you die, you die from ALS. Because I, during this time where my symptoms were so debilitating and I wanted to die and I was waking up to an absolute utter nightmare every single day of my life for months and months and months, uh, y- y- it was, it was so, it was the wor- it was so bad. It, like I would sit there at home and I would just cry. I would just cry and cry and cry. And I would try to do anything to make myself feel better, to stand up in the living room and walk around in a circle. And I couldn't even do that without like nearly falling over. It was, it was awful. And I knew people who had stage four cancer and who had relapsing remitting MS. And these people were going to Disney and they were going to restaurants and they were going out in public and doing things. And I was like, you actually must be kidding. Like these people, like it was, it, it was shocking to me how sick I was. And it was shocking to like my husband and to friends, how sick I actually was that my husband was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like the worst thing I've ever seen, you know, Alzheimer's, you lose your mind. You have no cognizant of what's going on. That's better in my, in my mind. Cause like, you have functionality. You can still, you're senile. Yeah. Well, you're senile, but you can, you're pain free to function through the day. Yeah. I was not, I was waking up every day suffering. And so did you get to like, I'm I'm sorry, I shouldn't have cut you. I was just wondering like logistically, because you said you knew a person who actually took their life because of the disease. Like, did you more than one? Did you get like serious enough about going to Switzerland to like make logistics or was it just one of those? Like, yeah, I was yeah. looking into it every single day. Like I would put my, I would put my computer like on private browsing because I was scared that like, I don't know. I was scared that like. Fauci would find you. <laughs> yeah. Or somebody, I don't know that they're like, I was scared that like they would put me in like a mental institution or something, you know, but I was very much aware of what was going on. I wasn't psychotic. I wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. 
And, but I really didn't, I didn't want to be here. Like I thought Washington state was another place that you can go. Like there's places across the United States that they will allow you to do this. Yeah. That was the Kevorkian thing, right? Dr. Yeah. I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate of of this. End of life care. Like people making the choice. Hey, I don't want to suffer. Like let's humanely end my life versus bring issues to people and drain costs. And I'm wondering that too. Like, did you get to the point where you're like, fuck man, I'm also going to like financially ruin my spouse. Everybody in my life. Right. Yes. Like that's what I'm thinking of too. Like, man, what a fucking drain. If I can't be productive, all I'm doing is sapping. Mm -hmm. If I can't even clean the house while he goes to work, what use am I? Right. Like I can't do it. Like I can't do anything. Like what, like, is he going to have to end up getting me like long-term care? That's going to cost like $13,000 a month or something. Like, what is that? Like, you know, like that was like my, that was my, my nightmare. I couldn't believe how sick I was. And whenever I had asked him that he had said to me, he said, okay, like before we do that, cause he's like, look, I'm not going to like, if this is what you, tr- if this is truly what's in your heart, all right, we'll figure it out. But he's like, we're not going to do that right now. We're going to, we're going to try some other stuff. He said, do you, will you let me call in an Orthodox priest to the house. And I said, um, I don't think so. Like, I, I, like, I don't, I don't want to do that, you know? And sorry, the sun is in my face. I, he had said, okay, well, you know, let's, let's try to like, let's try to, you know, intervene in some other way. So he was like, let me call a priest. Let me call a priest. Let me call a priest. I was like, no, I'm not going to be one of these sick people who finds Jesus and gets better. Like, no, we're not going to do well, that. You I know mean, what I mean? Well, you could have a demon in you that if it were exercised, yes. you would be fine. Yes. I don't know if but, you've watched Stranger Things, but all Will had to do was get really hot and then he was absolutely fine. <laughs> sure. But, and there, they use, I mean, back to like whenever they, this used to be called floating women's syndrome and they would lock up women in insane asylums because they thought they were crazy. Can I stay there for a moment just in my Mm -hmm. workness? Like it was really weird and I didn't know how to ask like floating women's syndrome. So Mm -hmm. basically I heard that and I was like, oh, just another fucking chick being dramatic. Like, Uh bitch, you ain't trying to clean. You ain't trying to cook. Get at home and make my house. Like I took it in that manner and it was kind of wow but is that one of the like um gen genesis is genesis the right word is that part of like the evolution of the disease have, and its branding i don't know really it's hard because it hard sounded to say. really weird man women's floating disease just like well, like when women's floating yeah floating women's syndrome i'm sorry floating so, women, like, women's syndrome. and that's why like i didn't i was like scared to talk to people about like a lot of stuff because I didn't want them to think I was insane because I felt like this sounds crazy, you know? And I knew what my, I knew that I was having really bad physical symptoms that this wasn't just in my head, you know? But unfortunately as a woman, you're always going to be branded as the person that this is just in your head. Yeah, that's, 
you know, and you're being dramatic or you're being a hypochondriac. If another person tells me that I'm being a hypochondriac, they have no room in my life. How many Zero. people asked you're you, done. how many people were like, sweetie, is it just your time of the month? Oh, oh, a ton, a ton. Oh my God. Uh, so many people. I, I have a cousin who is like dead to me. Like I will never in my life. No, absolutely not. And like, that's, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, and that's the hard part. So wait, so are there men that have been diagnosed with vesticular migraine disorder? Yes. Yeah. There are men, not as many. It's not as common as it is in women. Um, but men do go through it. I think men experience it on maybe a slightly different level, but I'm not sure. Cause they're and I tougher. actually have, no, yeah, I have I... really good friends <laughs> that are men that, go through this and they all have like the same, they go through like, did I have a brain tumor and I want to commit suicide? And like, they go through all the same things that I've gone through. Dude, the suicide part is really, I don't know, man, without the label, the suicide part I feel would be the easiest part to go through. If you feel like all you are is a fucking sap. Yeah. And I wonder, I, I don't know if that's just American culture or what that is. But no, I feel... I've, I've talked to people in India. I've talked to people in the Middle East. I've talked to women. It's humanistic, all over, right? All over like, the entire world really? that have felt like that. Yes. Yeah. You just, because it's not like I have to produce money. It's like I can't even add value to my household. I can't walk the dog. Yeah. Dude, that's you know a what I dark, mean? dark fucking place, man. When you feel you have no value. A dark place to be. Yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst place. That's why the doctor who wrote the book said that this is the most the most debilitating disease he's seen outside of ALS. ALS is and you know what? ALS is fucking the worst thing that you can imagine. Like so bad. But your end result, you get to die. You get to die. You get relief from that. You know, and that's what I always thought. I'm like, these people with ALS, this is an unimaginable existence, but they get to die and I do not. But I have, I don't know when I'm going to die. I could live 40 years like this. And I thought, no. But it seems no. like you're, you're not coping or is coping the right word? I, I don't know how to like. Put so the, now whatever it's totally managed. It. It, now it's totally manageable and I'm so much better than I was. Yeah. So what happened was, is I did my, my husband did end up bringing a priest into the house. I finally agreed. So the priest. Yeah. <laughs> no, I finally agreed. I was like, okay, fine. Like if we're, he's like, let's just, he's like, let's just take a minute Might as well. and let's, yeah. He's like, and so I was finally like, okay, like, let's see what this is about. So I brought, he brought in um, or my husband, he's Lebanese, but they're Orthodox Christians. And he brought this Orthodox priest into the house and it, he anointed me with oil from a weeping icon. And I didn't know what that meant, but that's yeah. like an icon, like an icon, like a Virgin Mary, like, gold plaque thing do they and make, it 
like do they yeah. make them or is that something no, they just like sanctify they pray over it and all of a sudden it's like a yeah like I, the I eyes are weeping it. it weeps oil okay uh-huh I know, like, I was the same way. I was like, no, no, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm whatever. trying to, like, I, I guess I don't have the vocabulary. I don't know what to call a religious, like, like I don't know what the general term would be for, like, cross, rosemary beads. Like, if I'm looking at a funnel and you have all these specific religious, not tokens, but re religious, like, no, fuck, man. I don't even know what to call I know, them, but I all know. those things, I don't know what the level up above that is to classify a weeping icon, but I can picture I'll it. Show, I'll show you. I have, no. I have, it, I have one, one here. So it's like, it's like this thing. So that's, it's, it, this. it's a box. It looks like a picture. No, frame. it's a, it's like a, it's a, it's made of wood. Okay. So it looks like a book cover made of wood. I'm just trying to go like straight um, audio. Yeah. And so then this there's... Is, so this, is, this one is St. Michael. My husband is Michael. So this is St. Michael. Okay. Um, and the one that is weeping is weeping is of the Virgin Mary. And it's at a church in Pennsylvania. So this priest had gone to Pennsylvania to get the oil from the icon, the weeping icon to anoint sick people with. So I was like, all right, let's, <laughs> let's do this. Like, so you get to choose your saint and then the priest goes and gets oil that other priests have like prayed over that make it holy. No, he went, the, I didn't choose the saint. He just went, he went to Pennsylvania and there happened to be, a weeping icon at this one church in Pennsylvania. It's like considered a miracle. Oh, okay. And he collected some of the oil to bring back to South Carolina to anoint, to place onto people that were sick because the oil is considered healing and it's considered a miracle to be able to have this in your life. So and like a huge, it's like a, it's like a major blessing. The discovery happen. of the oil by the priest, like the coincidence of him going there and finding that oil to bring back is the miracle. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's at the church and it's been weeping for like a while. So it's like a <laughs> pilgrimage going there. Seriously. Yeah. There's just this yeah. like fountain of oil. Yeah. Of oil. And people go there and it's like a pilgrimage to like visit this oh, place. Wow. And there's been weeping icons in uh, like all over the world. Okay. And there's no oil like in the thing in like the wood. It just it's like a miracle that it does this. So and, almost sacks out. Okay, now that's making more sense. So there's this like origin point of oil that's coming out of a wood. The priest had gone there, collected the oil, and then they put it in the wooden frame of. Saint Michael. No, they put the it Virgin. on. They, he puts it like in a container. Got you. And, puts and then it on he your... he does the sign of the cross with the oil on me. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, now I'm picturing <laughs> it. No, dude, I'm not, and I'm not like asking these questions no, to like no. shit on you in any way. I'm just so unfamiliar that yeah. now it's making no, sense. It's okay, so I there's was unfamiliar a... also. Gotcha. Because and... whenever, whenever my husband called the priest, the priest was like, "Okay, I'll come to the house on this day at this time." And I was like, it's just like that. Like they just show up. He's like, yeah, that's what they're, they're what they're there for. I'm like, they'll just come to the house. And so he's like, yeah, I'll come to the house. And he's like, I'm going to, and he'll he, he said he was going to bring oil from a weeping icon. And I was like, what on earth are you talking about? You know, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And then he explained it to me. And then when the priest like actually showed up to the house, like in full priest, Full black, top to bottom, full priest, like ready to go with a cross. And he sat there and he talked to us for like an hour and he talked to us about being sick and talked to us about our relationship and talked to us about everything. And I told him that I wanted to die and he respected that. And, you know, he he really like understood what was you know, how serious disease is and how serious sickness is. And so he was like, all right, you know, and he uh, went ahead and anointed me with this oil from the icon and prayed over me and did all of this stuff. And some of it, I think, was in a different language, like Latin or whatever, um and put a bible on me and all of this how you know, religious this whole ritual yeah how religious you know? are you i wasn't this? at all i mean I was, <laughs> so like, where's I your mind God, at? but like that's why i was like whenever my husband had suggested that i do this right? i was like i am not going to be like you know how you always see people who go to prison or whatever and they're like oh i found god and it like helped me Dude. i always thought that was kind of like bullshit i was just yeah. like come on man like that's Dude, That's I'm, bullshit. I'm thinking then, of like late night television, buy this crystal, pray, yeah, like yeah, send in 50 crap. bucks to get your blessing. I can make paraplegics walk. So what are you thinking while this dude's praying over you? And like, I guess, where well, in the conversation so, did so you start sick. to believe? Well, I was so sick at the time. I didn't know really what to think. I was yeah. just like, this is just another thing. Like, this is just another, like, okay, like I'm just going through the motions at that point. But the fact that, like, he took the time to come to the house and, like, you know, really talk to us for a few hours about just about everything was really impressive because I thought, but that's what they're supposed to do. Like, there's <laughs> like that's what they're there for, you know? Like, I didn't realize that, like, they went to homes and stuff. But I know they'll come, like, because when my dad died, they had done the last rights for him because of like Catholicism or whatever like they had had a priest show up for that but I didn't know that they like just made house visits at all so I didn't know what to think but what I can say from that experience was that experience changed me for the rest of my life it 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 did something to me it really and no bullshit because I thought it was bullshit I thought it was I thought it was bullshit Cause I was ready to die. I was dead. I was dead set on saying goodbye to the world or finding a way to get my affairs in order. 
and to make sure my husband was going to be okay and my dogs and things like that in the house, like whatever, you know, like maybe downsize a little bit. I mean, it was very like practical at that time and very matter of a fact, like, yeah, you're being pragmatic. Yeah. Like let's get you a smaller house and let's figure out about the dogs, you know, let's figure out the stuff that we need to figure out, you know, like, am I going to, are we going to be buried together? Like, so we need a mausoleum. You, <laughs> you, know? have, you have this, uh, this is the weird part. And I'm not speaking to your particular instance. I guess I'm just thinking about religion in general. Like that's always kind of the weird thing of religion is the belief factor. And it seems yes. like, like religion works if you believe in it, but if you don't believe in it, you need to believe harder kind of a thing. And that seems to be kind of a trope for religion is the belief. Yeah. You got to have belief. And I'm wondering when did you have belief at any time during the ceremony? Did it take a couple no, days later not- where all of a sudden you were like, oh, my God, I'm starting to think this actually helped? It was like maybe like a month later that I realized that, that my Yeah. No, I had realized that I was that there was like a peacefulness over me. And that I was at peace with who I was and who I was becoming. And I was okay with the fact that I was never going to be the same person again. Never, If that makes so sense. Not healed? Like you just not accepted, healed. I'm going to be disabled. I'm going to be able to, I'm, I'm going to be someone who can't do anything. No, I was, I was sure I was going to be able to do something about this. Oh, I'm sorry. So it flipped. I was sure at that time I knew I was going to get better. And it took me a month to realize that I was actually starting to get better. I didn't realize it. And then I was like, hold on a second. Like things are shifting. Wow. And I was thinking of, I kept thinking back to like the days, you know, and I was thinking less and less about it. And I was like, okay, like something's going to turn around that like, Six months after that, I actually went back to the priest and I told him that he had saved my life. And that's not a positive mind mind shift like the David Goggins thing? You I don't think so because the conversation that I had with him was not positive. The priest? Yes. It was not a positive conversation. It was, I want to die and I'm sick. And he respected that. So then why do you attribute it to the priest's interaction getting better? Because the there was a peacefulness that had come over me that I didn't realize. And I had accepted, and I don't know how and I don't know why, I had accepted that I was getting better. In and the conversation or later on? Later on. Huh. later on but it was soon after it was soon after that you know it was it was yeah. a, maybe like i would say when i look back at it now it was like maybe like a week after that happened yeah and i'm not trying to again like i no, i no. get very self conscious when i ask questions about like i'm not no, challenging you, you in any way i'm not trying to no you shouldn't feel de-platform. that way but i wonder like if you ask somebody like, what's your dream vacation? And they visualize it. 
right? Or mm-hmm. if you say meditate on something, where's your mind going? Or if you take psychedelics sure. and you get all introspective and you're like, oh my God, yeah. I asked too many questions, right? So we respect all of these visualizations to make actualizations of what mattered, what's important, what like value, what, what do yeah. I care about? So if you're sick and you're feeling better and then all of a sudden your mind goes to with everything you fucking been through, it goes uh-huh. to the priest. I guess I'm like, well, then it would be the priest that got you there because that's what you valued as getting you there. It wasn't a stretch. It wasn't a pill. It was this encounter. So I guess that's yeah. why I was just trying to get a little deeper into it. I wasn't sure. trying to no, like deplatform it. And I think that, you know, that experience, it, I can't put it into words what it did to me, but it did something. It did something to me. <laughs> and it's almost as if I had, it's almost as if I had a near death experience where people talk about like they were atheists or whatever, and then they died and then they came back into their body and they were like, I believe now. And I can say wholeheartedly that that is almost what happened to me. Mm. Like I felt like I had died and then I felt like I had become alive. And he, he didn't try to, he didn't try to do that to me. He was very respectful of where I was and where I wanted to be and the fact that I didn't want to be here anymore. And he could, it's not that he sympathized with it. It's just that he took it and he was like, okay. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's, I I would hope it's an understanding, right? Like that's, they're supposed to bring comfort. I have a lot of Baptist family members that, you know, I don't relate at all to any of that because it's really like almost like a cult to me. Um, I get very, I get on thin ice when I start trying to differentiate between Christian religions. Like I kind of get, I get a little bit, I get pretty well Pentecostal because I went Pentecostal for about a year in my life. <laughs> but okay, so after it's the same. that, I, I was Catholic growing up, uh-huh. right? But then like, I hear all these other types of Christianity. And I'm like, how is that happened? So when you say Baptist and you have some skepticism and I, I don't know the qualities or the qualifications that would make you feel uh-huh. that way. Well, I think there's a quote that I heard that said, there's nothing like Jesus's hate. (laughs) You know, it's like, don't ever, don't ever try to be too happy and don't think about drinking alcohol, but you can take as many pills as you want, as long as the doctor gave them to you. And there's like, there's this whole God hates you and God is going to punish you and you're a bad person. And what I got from the Orthodox situation where I'm literally telling a priest to his face that I want to die and I want to do it myself. And he's like, okay, we're, we're going to try better because you can do better, you know, but if you don't want to, you don't have to, you know, I'm not going to make you. But I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to hope better for you. 
you know? And that's the difference. It's like in the Baptist, they would be like, oh, you're going to do something like that? Well, you're going to burn in hell forever, mm. you know? <laughs> and that I'm not cool with, you know? I Man, I've gotten into that. Um, it's part of what I like about the podcast is talking to people from everywhere, all over the fucking world, all sure. over the country. And hearing, like, putting together commonalities and one commonality about religion that people struggle with to be polite is the fucking guilt of hell. I know. And it's yeah. like this weird Santa Claus complex of, I see you when you're sleeping. I know when mm -hmm. you're awake. I know if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. And then it's mm -hmm. like Santa never gets into the second stanza of like, or you'll burn in hell and your presence will be given to those who are more fitting. And that's a very weird religious philosophy to grow with like what what kind of fucking institutions like be with us or you're gonna fucking be full of pain and die so i know be with and that's us. why i didn't want a priest coming into my yeah, home like the other option it's just like okay so that's the only fucking thing i can do it's a it's a weird aspect of religion man that um i don't i don't understand why it has to be there why can't it just be either. love and hope and faith and you can get through this and things can get better? And that's what that that's what this priest was. God, that's you. what this priest was. But if you're whatever decision you're going to make in your life is going to be your decision, yeah. you know, but I'm going to hope the best for you and I'm going to do the best for you that I can. But you still have your free will. And that, you know. I was impressed by that, definitely, you know, and like, it, it just, it changed me so much and it, it really gave me a new perspective on my life. And now like, we don't live in South Carolina anymore. We live in Las Vegas and life is a lot better. Life got so much better. Now, was it the oil from the icon? I don't know. <laughs> But I know that it got better and I know that things started to turn around and I know that I was at a place where I could start to help myself and I knew that I had to address myself and I had to do the things that I needed to do to get better, no matter how hard it was. Yeah, that sounds so mental healthy, not physical healthy. Do you know what I'm saying? And like in my head, I'm listening and I'm trying to balance the both of like, hey, you have this physical ailment, but it sounds so mentality driven, which I guess goes back to the anxiety diagnosis, right? Well, you're not going to get, if you're not going to be mentally better, you're not going to get physically better. Like mm. it doesn't work that way. It, do, it doesn't, right. you can't be, that's why now with my Instagram account, I have so many people that are suffering all over the world that come to me on a daily basis telling me I'm dizzy. I have all the same symptoms that you have. I have, I've gone through the same thing. Tell me what, what can I do? I feel like I'm never going to be the same person again. And you know what I tell everybody? Guess what? You're not going to be the same person that you were before. You're going to be different and you're going to be different forever, but it's not going to be a bad thing because you're going to get better and you're going to be a better version of who you were, whether you believe me now or not. 
that take it as it is. But and that's the dizzy cook. That's what she told me. You're never going to be the same person again, but you're going to get better. And I promise you. And I didn't believe her. I was like, this woman has lost her goddamn mind if she thinks that this is going to be okay. But I got better. Hope. Hope, man. Like, hope. Hope. I forgot. Like, it might be a stranger's thing quote. Like, what's stronger than fear is hope. Like, what's the only thing? Actually, it might be a Hunger Games thing where President Snow said it. Like, the only thing that beats fear is hope. And... It, yeah. I mean, you just need someone who's been through an experience like you to uh, help you through it. That That's why, you know, support groups are so like, I never thought that I would be a support group kind of person. I never thought that, oh, <laughs> I would a go cheerleader. and like have to have like group therapy or anything like that. I never thought that like that was going to be in my realm. And I was just like, no, like I'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict. I don't need that. But when this happened to me and the doctor said to me, he's like, you, you need to find some people and you, you need to like get, that's what's going to help you. And he wasn't wrong. And I had to go to a support group and I had to find, you know, there in Charleston, there was a support group that I went to once a month of other people who were dizzy that lived around me and it, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard, but we all got through it, you know, and there's new people all the time. And, you know, because my doctor had vestibular migraine himself, he used to come to our support groups and would answer questions for us. So now, you know, I do these things like these podcasts and I, you know, actually the daily mail just reached out to me and they want to write, they want to, you know, put something together about vestibular disorders and about, um, Alice in Wonderland syndrome. So I do these things because I want, I I want to spread as much awareness as I can. And I want people to know that like, look, I was the girl that was one second away from like dying and wanted to die and wanted so badly to not be here anymore, but I found a way to get through it. I found a way. And if I can find a way, so can you, you just have to find your thing. What was get through it to you? So you're feeling like you can vacuum, you can be a household contributor, not to be all like fucking gender phobic and hey, you got to do that because you're a woman type thing. But it seemed like, are you back to working? Like what is contributing to you? So my husband is a sound engineer and I manage his, I manage his business for him. So I'm his whole career for him. He also owns some investment property and we have an ATM company. So he owns cash machines and I manage everything for him. So at home, so we are, we have passive income and then he goes out and he does his sound, you know, his sound work and here in Las Vegas and I manage everything for him. So I can be at home and I can do all of that. You know, I can do a lot of that. And that really, you know, that really helps him a lot. And then I, you know, I do, I still do, you know, practicing my DNRS every day, you know, being mindful and talking to myself and 
all of that. And then I use an exercise bike. So that's like really new for me is to like get on a bike and like actually exercise. Like one of the hardest parts. Yeah. Like one of the hardest parts about this was taking all these antidepressants and these beta blockers, um, caused me to gain 40 pounds. Like I couldn't, like, I was like, Oh my God. Like I went to the doctor and I was like, what in the actual fuck? Like you didn't tell me this was going to happen. You know, that's scary. Cause if you're dealing with something and I'm not saying it's all mental, but if you're dealing with an anxiety, Mm -hmm. something and it's not like a body shaming thing right but like nobody wants like fucking five ten pounds all of a sudden you sit down and you're like why is my belly over my belt yeah 40 pounds Mm -hmm. that's a fucking lot man and that will snowball into the depression into the anxiety into the overthinking so like that's yeah that's scary No, and that was, that was really, really hard. The thing is, is I was a very, very small person before this started. I mean, I was (laughs) very small, like almost like to the point where it wasn't okay. And so putting on 40 pounds has not been the worst thing to have happen to me, but it's definitely affected my mental health because like my clothes don't fit anymore. And a lot of people who are in my situation that are dizzy, you can't get up and exercise. So most of us do gain weight. I gained 40. I know people who've gained 80. I know people who've gained 50. Like it's rough. And the medications that slow your heart rate down and everything, like things will happen. And so that was obviously like really hard for me, but my husband has never made me feel bad. Never, ever made me feel less than or feel unattractive or anything like that. And, you know, that has been like great. That's been wonderful. Cause I've all, cause I felt self-conscious and he's like, I don't, you don't, this isn't something that you need to worry about. Like, I don't know what your, what your concern is, you know? And, but I'm starting like now, like I'm doing more things to like try to lose weight. Like I'm exercising and I get out of the house more and everything. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas, but everything is really big here. No, everything is like so big. It takes a lot of walking to get anywhere. Is it like pretty a flat of or is it uphill, downhill or is it straight there's, flat? No, it's like mostly, well, there, it, like, I mean, there's mountains all around us. So there is like elevation, but like, I mean, like if you go, if you're going to go out to like one of the resorts or something to go to dinner, like you're going to have to walk really far uh, to go okay. anywhere. So that's like, for me, that's like such a, a major accomplishment just to be able to do something like that. Like that's a massive accomplishment. That is so fucking crazy. Like how many people I would take that for granted again, like what I was telling you, like, dude, I fucking rode a hundred miles yesterday on a bike. I rode 27. I'm like, I'm sore today. So I took an easy day. I take for granted the fact that I can just hop on a fucking bike and roll and be like, I'm going to be fine. For me to get to Las Vegas, to have to get on an airplane was a massive accomplishment. Like, I mean, that was like, I was in tears that I was able to like get through it. Seriously? Like, yes, I couldn't, like when the airplane landed in Las Vegas, I was in tears that I got through it. And the fact that I walked through an airport, they, I had arranged a wheelchair for myself just in case I needed it, but I didn't need the, the wheelchair. No, this is life. 
this is life for people with vestibular disorders. Dude, yeah. that's... And, and so and for so, me just... now, and like, I, that's why like on my Instagram and on social media, I'll post things like myself going out to dinner or myself walking through a resort or, you know, walking on, like going on a hike because these are things I haven't been able to do in almost three years. Yeah. And I need to give people hope that they can get there also because there's people who are literally wanting to die and that have no hope in life because they're in such debil it's so debilitating and they have no quality of life, zero quality of life. Yeah. And I lived for so long with zero quality of life because of this, that I don't take one thing that I'm able to do for granted and neither does my husband going grocery shopping to buy, to buy, like to go into a grocery store, get a cart and walk up and down the aisles of a grocery store without feeling like I'm going to fall down is the biggest accomplishment of like my life. And it's crazy. And to come home and to cook, like, and like be able to do these things again is like, is so amazing. It's like incredible for me that I don't take one day for granted. And that's why I am like, to be a part of my it's, life, to be able to have access to my life, you have to, you have to really be in this with me. You don't have to understand, you don't have to sympathize, like whatever, but you have to respect me and I will take nothing less from anybody, you know, because my life is so valuable because I can tell you, I know what it's like to go from one second to the next and have, have nothing like health is wealth. I don't care how much money we have. I don't care if we have to live in a trailer. I don't care about anything because I have my health back, yeah. you know? And like people during COVID were worried that they were going to be out of work for eight weeks. I was like, you have your health. You're going to go back to work, you know, right. you're, you're going to, and it's going to be okay. I, you can't take anything for granted. And my husband doesn't either. It really, this, this changed my husband so much for the better. It's like night and day. Cause he would drink a lot. Like he was really, and just like, I mean, he was a big partier, big, big partier. <laughs> and he would engineer. just like balls to the wall party, <laughs> you know, like blackout, like all of that that whenever he saw this, he completely changed his entire life because he was like, I can't believe this is real. I cannot believe for Dude, one second that this is real life. And uh, it's the first time I've ever met you, ever seen you. Like I'm yeah. looking at you and I'm like, you do not look like a fucking person that needs a wheelchair to get oh, on a I plane. Can't... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, but like, that's of the, course. that seems to be the, societal disconnect and the internal yeah. struggle that would lead to this really weird fucking conflict. Cause like, dude, if, if, and we'll get a picture for the podcast, but like your face looks great. You got great hair. You know what I'm yeah, saying? No, like your skin looks good. Fine. Like dude, you and look that at was you, always like, the difficult what's thing. Wrong? Like, especially with like my in-laws and stuff, like explaining to them, like I look okay, 
but my physical appearance has nothing to do with my yeah. overall health. Yeah, which and does not I get associated, really hard, right? Like you associate really outward appearance with physical health. They're one in the other. So if you look like yeah. shit, you feel like shit. And of course. Yeah, that does not yeah. seem to be the case, which is why when you were telling the airport story, I'm like, what? Like that makes no sense. Yeah. No, no. So whenever I've had to go to the airport, I've had to call. You can call the airline ahead of time and ask them for a wheelchair. So when you get dropped off, they'll have a wheelchair waiting for you. And then they will take you to your gate and then they will let you on the airplane first. And then they'll let you off the airplane first. They'll have a, they'll have wheelchairs at all sides of your, your trip. So I've had to do that and like not saying to the people, oh, I'm good. Like, I don't need a wheelchair is like the biggest success of my life, <laughs> you know, like not having to use the wheelchair whenever. And it's hard. It's hard for people to understand. Like, it's really difficult because I do look fine and I'm and I sound OK and all of that. But it's it's not at the same. You know, it's for a long time. It wasn't. And. Mm -hmm. That was difficult. And the other thing that I would get was like reverse ageism where people would be like, well, you're too young to live like this. Right. And I would be like, well, children get cancer all the time and die. So nobody's too young for anything, you know? Do you... I just had an incident with a family member who was like, oh, you're too young to have, to have any of this go on in your life. I'm like, what do you mean I'm too young? Are we going to tell the, the kids that they're too young for leukemia? No, you can't like, no, you would never say like, don't say that to people, you know, like, cause this is life. This is my real life. And you know, this happens. This is very, very real. And it can happen do to you, anybody at any age. Do you catch a bunch of shit? Like do people throw yes. motives on you for like, Oh, you're just trying to get like disability. Oh, you're just yes. lazy. Like, what's the typical story people throw on you for impostering or pretending? Um, well, I've been called a hypochondriac a lot. So <laughs> there's been like, Alexa, turn on living room lights. There's been, um, I've been called a hypochondriac a lot. I've been called, you know, I've been told I was lazy. I've been told that, um, I'm making all of this up. I've been told it's all in my head. I've been told all kinds of things. Um, I A lot of people won't say things to my face directly, but then I'll find out that they have said it later, like my in-laws thinking that I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit at home. Um, and that can be further from the truth because who you, wants to live like this? Well, you seem very intelligent the way you're speaking about this and you seem yeah. very driven i yeah because my life because my life has so much value to it now like my life is just so different and i i put so much more value on my life every single day like wake up and i can't tell you i wake up every single day thankful to like to be able to to be here that and it's hard to 
I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what that feels like. No, not truly until know you, what that feels like. Not until you don't want it from what I've heard. You know, and not I've not until, experienced yeah. it. Like, dude, I take, I'm going to go to fucking sleep and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be upset about some shit. And like, I'm going to be grumpy and I shouldn't be that way. I should be like, dude, no. you can fucking walk and you're going to go do some fun things. You're going to go get a tan and you're going to eat a good lunch. And yeah. like, it's going to be a great day for you tomorrow. But me, I'm yeah. going to wake up and some shit I'm going to find to complain about. Right versus yeah, that's the way most humans are yeah right because you take the next day for granted that's mm -hmm. so common until you I, yeah. don't feel like you have a next day or those sure. days aren't normal no you have a different your life becomes so different and you have a different motivation in your life whenever you do go through something like this it's it's like everything everything else becomes fixable Okay. Money, finances, these are, that can be fixed. Okay. You know, you're unhappy about something. Everything else is fixable. You're fucking miserable with your partner. Like get a divorce. Come on. Like whatever. <laughs> no, but it's true. Like you, things yeah. are fixable, but your health, whenever you are in an unfixable situation, like that is when you realize like everything is gone. At that point, it doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter like how big your house is or any of that. It, none of it matters yeah. until you've lost your ability to live life to any extent. And I know what that feels like. And I think that like you'll find that there are people who experience things that I have and they have a very different outlook on life. And they value there. There's a different value in everything. Do you being able to drive a car is like even I know people who haven't driven cars in like five years or whatever, and for them to like drive home from like a store, you know, just for like five minutes or whatever, yeah. that's like a massive victory for Normal. them, and that's like like something we celebrate. Like, right. and you have like they'll post about it on Instagram, and they get hundreds of people just flooding comments saying, Oh my God, like, I'm so proud of you. I hope I get there one day just to drive for five minutes down the road. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it changes you to the core. And so those people that do say to me, I'll never be the same again. Good. Take, take this for what it is. And when you do get better, you're going to be better. You're going to be a better version of yourself because I can confidently say that I'm a better version of myself yeah. than I was before this. Do you trust it? Yes. You trust Absolutely. that you're better? I, I guess that's yeah. like the weird thing. Like I would be so scared to relapse if, uh, if that's what you want to call it. I don't know what like a te technical term would be. But that's awesome, man, that you're like, But here's hey, the thing. I've, I know I'm going to relapse. I'm sorry? I know I'm going to relapse. Oh. At some, because relapsing is normal. It happens. But the thing is, is what, what, the doc, what a doctor said to me and what people have said to me is, if you got better once, you can get better again. That's a great mentality. And so I, 
know and I have the tools and I've learned through DNRS and through the neuroplasticity and through everything that these relapses are temporary. And I tell myself, okay, so like this is temporary. Like last night I was out and it was very, like it was very crowded and it was like very, it was hot. It's 115 degrees here in um, Las Vegas and there's just people everywhere. And so it was a little overwhelming for me, but I told myself, this is temporary. This isn't, this isn't the way it's going to be always. This is just the way it is right now. The next time will be, will be different. And that's the thing. Like, I know it's going to happen and I'm prepared for it. And I do the things that I have to do to not let it take over me, to not have power over me, you know, because relapsing happens. It's I, the way I explain it is I'm kind of like a person with MS or I'm kind of like a person with like Lyme disease or something weird like that, you know, but a little bit more serious and maybe a little bit more debilitating, even though people with MS like do have very, very debilitating. I mean, it's very painful and they can lose their ability to walk and, you know, that that's very difficult. Um, but th- you know, this is, this is a chronic illness and it, it is what it is. It's forever. And I'm okay with that. Well, it is, it's forever, but it's not <laughs> like, I don't know. Like it comes and goes and like the ebbs and the flows of it are like, I, I've accepted it and I'm able to get through it. And I have the tools that I need to, to get, to get through it. And I know what I have to do, but I also know what I have to do to minimize my my chances of re, you know of relapsing yeah so. it seems like the tool thing and again hey give me a label cool how yeah. do i get better awesome now if it comes yeah. up again i know how to attack and i can adjust and like that to <laughs> me would be so empowering versus i'm just fucking grasping like i picture it in the middle of an ocean hoping for like a lifeline hoping for a flotation device and it seems like now you have i mean you've said it tools which would be empowering so in march i went to a Katy perry concert (laughs) so like i'm not like a huge Katy perry (laughs) fan by any means like that's not like my thing but my husband works for the for the place where she performs well he he has his company that he owns is within that the place that she performs and i just remember thinking back to my life thinking like a couple months ago i was in charleston south carolina sick beyond like any comprehension and now i'm here at a katy perry concert like i never thought i would be able to do this ever again for the rest of my life i thought i was done doing this forever so I cried through her whole concert because I was so, I was so overwhelmed and happy to be there. And I was like, I never thought at the age of 41, I would be crying at a Katy Perry concert with like all these teenagers around right. me. But like, here we are, you know, I mean, it, it really, it really like changes you and it just puts everything into perspective and it makes you appreciate life and it makes you appreciate everything in your life. And it just tells you how temporary everything is and that's okay. 
Yeah. So you've gotten to the point where you just appreciate those moments. Yeah. I, I appreciate every, I appreciate every moment, every moment of my life. I appreciate everything that I can do, you know, dude, it's so hard to just see you and be like, you were in that dark of a place. To get to the place where you appreciate every moment because I take, I like part of me going again for these bike rides the last couple days, I find my mind going to the place of you need to be more appreciative. Like you take a lot of shit for granted, man. And you need to change that about yourself. And I don't know, I guess I don't know how to do that. Maybe I need to seek people to give me the tools. But I think that's the thing that people do. You're healthy. You're, you feel like I got my paycheck coming in. I'm not worrying about next like month's rent type shit. And all of a sudden you got first world problems and you don't appreciate simple things like sunshine, good food, being able to walk. Yeah. No, I think you have to like take energy from the things around you. So like you live in a beautiful place. You live in a beautiful place Lose, that a lot of people would, Lose, yeah, Delaware. a lot of people would like, <laughs> a lot of people would be really like thankful to live in a place like yeah, that. And we have doubt. to like, remember, you know, people have to, re- you have to remind yourself of things, of the, the small things like that, because life becomes really mundane and it becomes really repetitive and you just have to like, be like, this is good. And like I wake up every day and I thank God for everything that I have. Everything. I'm so thankful for it. And the more thankful I am for the things that I have, the more I have of those things. Uh, and that's that's the thing I never understood before until now. Because I was always, before this, I was always very materialistic. I grew up in Georgetown in Washington, D.C. So oh, everything was about being... Gosh. Yeah, I had to be rich. I had to be pretty. I had to be skinny. I had to have rich boyfriends. I had to have the nicest of, I mean, it was all, really is all it was about was being rich and being skinny. That was what, you know, and being good looking and having the best of everything. And that's such a terrible way to live. And it's just so materialistic and it was not healthy. It's not healthy. And that's why I say I'm glad to not be that person anymore because I have all of those things now that I wanted. I'm not skinny like I used to be because I've been on all these beta blockers for so long, but like that doesn't, that doesn't matter anymore. You know, like, like I have a husband who loves me and I live in an amazing place and I get to have these amazing experiences. And this is wonderful. And these are all the things that I wanted when I was that person. Yeah. Right. And now the more thankful I am for those things, the more I have them in my life. There's something about that energy, man. I have not been able to tap into it, but what you're saying, I keep hearing from so many different people all around the world, especially in America. And it takes time. Is that But it's not time. like you can, I don't know, like there's all these Tony Robbins and the Goggins and the Joe Dispenzas and even like Joe Rogan and like all of these people that talk about these things. And you can only hear so much of it 
until something happens to you and you have no choice but to put it into action, you know, and really say, I'm going to, like, I, I have no choice but to change. I, and that's where a lot of people, like, it comes into play where you're like, oh, my God, the more thankful I am for all of these things. Like, the more yeah. thankful that I was for getting my health back, the healthier and healthier that I have become. Yeah, well, And that's weird. I, no, I... It's not because it makes sense. Like you don't appreciate it till you lose it. And Goggins yeah. gets into that in the book. I don't know what chapter um, it was in because I listened to, I think I'm on chapter nine right now. Um, but he's like, yeah, it's always fucking easy to be like, make a plan and tell yourself you can do some shit on your couch, knowing you can grab a fucking milkshake, knowing you can get some lemonade, knowing yeah. you can put your feet up. But until you're out there trying to do 100 miles in 24 hours and you're shitting on yourself with piss and blood till you realize yeah. how you're going to get them 30 miles. And you're like, whoa, man. But like, I mean, he, that's takes very it, he does take it really far. Dude, he's, and he's like, he's oh, ridiculously like his whole thing extreme. is like, oh, just get up and do it. Just yeah. get up and do it. You yeah. know, and doing it is just like, just but, do it. And it's like, well. I think some people have to like go through something to just be able to get up and do it. But no, that's his point. While you're doing yeah. it, you go through it and then you find your resilience yeah. and then you find your appreciation, which is why I was saying it. Like, it's very hard. Yeah. That's why I keep getting back with me. Like, it's hard for me to appreciate life because I've been fortunate enough where I haven't been in situations where I felt my life was fleeting. And so that's what you work off of. You'd be thankful for that. You'd be yeah. thankful that you've never had to be me. Just the actualization you know? of the fact that I haven't had to worry. But it makes it hard. Do you know what I'm saying? And like not to be all it does. fucking it does. contrarian. But like it 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 goes to the religious faith aspect of can I really appreciate yeah. it if I've never had the chance of losing it type of thing. You know? But it the message is sound but because I, everyone who almost it, lost no, it, it is. is like, dude, fucking appreciate every day. Smell the roses. That's why it's an expression. Yeah. And trust me, I was like that. I was like that also. Like I appreciated nothing in my life. I felt like, well, I, I felt like I did at the time, but now that I look <laughs> back on it, I'm like, no, I was like, I was kind of shitty. Like, and that's not good. And now I appreciate every, every, everything in my life. And that's why, you know, I'm careful about the people that I have around me because you, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm wonderful. I am great. <laughs> no, I am. And like, this I mean, I've enjoyed hanging out with you. Yeah. This can only, <laughs> only be shared like with, you know, people that really, really matter to me. Cause I don't have space. I don't have space for crap anymore. Cause I've been through enough crap. I'm not going to like go through any more crap for like nothing, you know, like, yeah, it's no. taxing. It's taxing. It is. It's so it's, it, it's rough. It's rough, but you know, our medical system in this country is really difficult. It's tough. It's, a lot of it is a scam. A lot of insurance is a scam. No, like profit no, driven, man. No, yeah, like it's, it's terrible. Driven. Yeah. No, like there, there is life saving medication that could really change people that costs thousands of dollars that insurance just doesn't cover. But I went to buy a gun yesterday. Oh. 
And it took me no time. It was the easiest process ever. But if I want life-saving medication, I've got to go through an insurance company and all this bullshit, and it could take months well, and cost me thousands of dollars. That's because you don't understand the research and development that these companies go through and the oh, financial but I do, risk. Because I'm of... actively working with them right now. <laughs> I do. I know what goes into it. Because I've been doing a year-long research project on how to like... Um, the project that we're doing is about how to improve emergency room care okay. for for acute, mainly acute dizziness. People who check into the ER with acute dizziness. And because that's most the people, Harvard, John Hopkins that you had mentioned. Oh, we brought doctors from all over, all over the world, for to to do this. And I know what goes into it, and I know the cost. I know what goes into it, but still. You know? Yeah, I was saying it's... that as a jackass. I I don't, the <laughs> numbers don't make sense to me where I'm like, all right, so it, it seems to me like the, the, the healthcare system are a bunch of fucking degenerate gamblers that are taking nothing but long odds. And they're like, everything we do is 40 to one. But if we hit on three, the other 37 won't matter because those three will pay off so much and you're like, I don't know if that's how we should quantify health. Like, do we really want yeah. to quantify people? I thought part of, and I've read books, I forget what it was about the Vietnam War. Might have been a Malcolm Gladwell book where the conversation was like, well, what is acceptable loss? How many dead bodies before we're bothered? 10, 20, 50, I mean 100? So we could lose a thousand and we're okay. And you're like, that's what the fuck's wrong with healthcare. The fact that there's money associated with lives and you're mm -hmm. like, those two should not be, oh, you get better. We made more money. Like I, it, it feels icky, man. It really always feels mm -hmm. fucking icky. Oh, it's, it, it is, it's, it's icky and it's terrible. And I've had so many arguments with these doctors over the past year about so many things, you know, cause I'm just like, no, yeah, you're did doing you get, this on purpose. <laughs> did you get a bunch of like weird hospital bills where they're like, Hey, your deductibles not like, did you even have insurance to go through all these testings? It's yes. So, but that being said, in the beginning, I was so desperate for answers, like with MRIs and CT scans, that I went. We went ahead and paid for them instead of going through insurance oh. because we wanted to. A lot of stuff we did we did outside of insurance because I wanted to have control over the specialists that I want that I went to. I mm. wanted to have control over the medication that I took, and we weren't in a bad financial situation where we, where we had to like pinch pennies at all. Like gotcha. we were, we were willing to pay for what we had to pay for. So most of it, we just paid, paid outright. You know, we just, we didn't worry about like a lot of the red tape bullshit gotcha. because it was like, well, they're going to have to contact the insurance company and get approval from them for this specialist. And I was like, no, like there's only one person in like 
uh, like my entire region of the Southeast, like, no, I have to like, this is the one person that I have to go through and I'm not going to wait. Like I'm going to do what I have to do to get there. And, uh, the medication, we're just going to pay for it because I'm not going to wait, you know? And it's not, none of it was expensive stuff. The only thing that was, um, pricey was they did some inner ear testing and that, uh, is time consuming and it is a little pricey, but nothing like I didn't need an operation or anything. Obviously we would have used insurance if I needed an operation, but and then all the other stuff that I did, like the physical therapy and the Texas Migraine Clinic and DNRS, none of that is covered by insurance. So that's all out of pocket. Mm-hmm. All of it was out of pocket. Yeah. yeah so the... I, I have no idea what we've spent, like, yeah. up in, it, but it's significant. But we don't have children, and we live very, very below our means, and, you know, we manage everything ourselves. So we were okay. You know, we knew what we had to do whenever I got sick gotcha. to, to make, to make things work. But that being said, yeah, there's a lot know. of people that lose everything. No people doubt. like, I know people, women who've moved back in with their children and their children are taking care of them or people who've moved back in with their parents because they've lost everything people have sold their homes had to sell everything because this is this is such a serious disease that nobody knows about and they lose everything they get divorced because their husbands don't understand because you look fine but you're not and if people aren't sympathetic then relationships fall apart you know yeah, well i'm even thinking like you've also lost an additional income if that's what you had yeah and that no, can definitely. be fucking i mean like that's detrimental <laughs> yeah no it, it's hard it's hard it's definitely a lot of changes had to be made immediately like immediately because we knew that first week that i wasn't going anywhere anytime i'm soon that this was going to be this was going to be a long long hard road and there was no chemotherapy. There was nothing that was going to like get me better within a, within a few months. Yeah. No fix. This was, this was going to take time, you know, but here we are now and things are okay. <laughs> you know, um, Edda, is there something we haven't gotten into? I know. I mean, dude, no, we've been fucking no, like two I and think... a half hours flew by and yeah. I didn't are there know. any other questions about this? Dude, <laughs> are you, I've, are you shocked? Are you horrified? No, because I'd never. I'm well. I'm horrified in the fact that like my daughter, who's never had any symptoms, I'm wondering like that I know about. I'm like fucking like oh my god, is she suffering from some shit that like she's just coping with, or how, how many people? She? She's twelve. You know, like... Did she get car sick? No. Nah. Okay, so she's... She, I mean, you know... Oh, these car things sickness, like, huh? So if you have... Sometimes an indicator that you have a vestibular disorder is if you are very susceptible to ha- to motion sickness as a child. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And sometimes, like, there's a connection with dyslexia. 
Yeah. So that is another indicator. There's a couple of indicators out there, like, you know, um, but you know, you like the, the one thing that I can say is if you have a person in your life, like your daughter or somebody that you're worried about and they are complaining about some kind of symptom or something, believe them. Yeah. Don't be dismissive. That, that be that's dismissive. part of the biggest thing I've taken away is like, Hey man, like try not to be dismissive if shit looks yeah. okay. If someone's feeling yeah. a certain way, like you have to balance the optics yeah. versus the emotion of someone's like, well, well-being. a person's physical appearance has nothing to do with their overall health, which is so hard to accept for the which most part, which is very hard to accept very because hard. we think that people should look like sick people, broken but leg, sick person look twisted, like? right? Like, Oh, where's the swelling? Where's the bruising? Where's the MRI? Yeah. yeah, everything. But if there is somebody in your life and they are saying that something feels wrong or something feels off, believe them because I wasn't believe like I went through little there were little indicators my whole life that something was off. And now that I look back on it, I'm like fuck you mom, fuck <laughs> you dad. Like this no. And I'm just like, no, this is, this is like, I was called a hypochondriac for so long, Mm. you know, like, or told you're just being dramatic or whatever. No, I wasn't. I have a fucking pretty serious illness that is now at the chronic stage that I've lost my, I lost so much time and so much of my life for, but I'm in a way thankful that I went through it the, the way that I did you know, in a sick sort of weird way. Well, it's, but if people are in your life and they are saying something's off, believe them because you don't know what it's like to live inside a body like this. And I, t- and I tell doctors this all the time. I've actually looked at the head of neurology for Harvard and said, you do not know for one second what it's like to be me. I don't care how many books you've read, you know? And he's like, I respect that. Yeah. It seems like going through it's, I don't know if you were previously, but like the intellectual advocate is something that I think you seem to be passionate about. That's what I've taken away. Yeah. Is that you're informed, you're intellectual, you know what's going on and you just want other people to seek help and get better through the means that helps you to get better, which is awesome. I just want... I want people to know that they can get better. And I also want people to know that like there are, there are things that you can do to help get yourself better. Because when you look at Google or you look at things like the definition of these diseases is so off, it's not correct. And the things that they say about it are just not, it's not true. You know, it's not, it's not real. And a lot of doctors don't know what this is. So you can go to 10 doctors and nobody's going to know what's wrong with you. And there are people out there to help you and there are things that you can do to get better and you're not going to be like this forever, but you are going to have to be aware of it and you're going to have to manage it and that's okay, you know, and you're not being dramatic and you're not a hypochondriac. And, (laughs) you know, whenever I got sick, it was so shocking when I got sick. It was so shocking. I've never been shocked like that from anything in my life. And it was so debilitating. I couldn't imagine how sick I was. And whenever I started, like, when the doctor said to me, you're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to read about this yourself. And you're going to have to meet people. 
And that was whenever I was like, okay, I'm going to have to be my own advocate here. And he told me that this is what you, you don't have a choice, but to do it this way. Yeah. So that's why I literally had to consume all the information. I had to get, get in with the organization with Veda and become an ambassador for them and start go and go on Instagram and just have this open account. So people can like message me all day, every day and tell me that they're sick. And what do I do? You know, I can help you. I'm not a doctor, but I'm better than most doctors at this point. The advocate part's super interesting to me because you hear that with older people. Like if an older person, I want to say that was even a like public service announcement, PSA, where it was like, if someone's older, have an advocate go with them to the doctor just to ask extra questions. But you don't think about with someone who's in their 30s or 40s. You figure you just handle shit on your own. You know what to ask. And it's like, well, if I don't know what's wrong and if I don't understand symptoms, how do I even know what to question? Because it's intimidating. They fucking have a doctorate and they have a timeline and you don't want to take up their time and you're self-conscious about that and you don't want to be a jerk. And it's all these extra manners that take away from your overall health, which is... I need you to sit down and fucking listen to me and research Uh some shit with me, doc. That probably a lot of people don't ever fucking say. Like, don't leave. Sit down. Almost like hostage situation. Well, But it doesn't happen. I took lists of questions. And so now, like, through the organization and through Dizzy Call, we have lists of questions that people can take to their doctors to ask. Um, and so, you know, I tell people like you write down everything, write down everything that you're going through and take it to them and just hand it to the nurse right when you get there. So then they can like start immediately. And so there's, there, there's a lot of things that people can do and, you know, doctors, it can be difficult and doctors are, they don't know everything. And that's another thing I tell people is doctors don't know everything and they're not going to always know what to do. And that's okay because you have these organizations and you have a lot of advocates on social media that will, that will help you. You know, there's a, a, a group of hundreds of us on Instagram that will help, you know, you can reach out to any of us at any time, not so much TikTok. I was thinking about TikTok. <laughs> I went on it and TikTok is really just like alien invasions and like apocalypse and really and like cool dances. Food shortages. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this doesn't seem like the place for us. Like, I don't know. Like, this seems like a bad place, but, and then there are support groups on, there's support groups on Facebook. Like there's a vestibular migraine support group on Facebook where they have a couple of thousand members and it's actually run by a girl I know. And, you know, people can share what's happening to them. There's a group on Reddit. There's a support group on Reddit where if you want to be more like anonymous and like talk about it, like you can, And, you know, there's a lot of help out there. And then a lot of cities, like I'm going to start a support group here in Las Vegas for dizzy. There's actually quite a lot of dizzy people here in Las Vegas. So I'm going to spread the way those fuckers drink. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a lot of dizzy people here in Las Vegas and there is no specialist in Las Vegas at all. Our nearest specialist is in UCLA. 
Um, so you would have to drive four hours to Los Angeles to get there. But um, I'm going to start uh, start one here. We're going to call ourselves the Dizzy High Rollers. Love you it. know, <laughs> got the logo so, instead of like uh, to die. Yeah, we're going to do, we'll do a logo. We're going to, we're going to put something, something together, but, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to do, you know, there's help. There's a lot of help out there for a crazy, these crazy disorders that people have never heard of. And when one little thing goes wrong inside the ear, like that's, that's it. So like the theory is, is like, a lot of the theory is that you've that people have contracted a virus that will damage the um, vestibular nerve inside the ear, and that is what then brings on the chronic vestibular migraine symptoms. Mm. And some people say it's Epstein Barr Lyme disease. I, I don't know. Like there, there's a couple of theories around that, but it's that one little thing can go wrong, and it's like your whole life. Like your ears do everything for you besides think. So <laughs> I love it. Can we end on that? Your ears do yeah. everything for you, but think. <laughs> Etta. Yeah. Well, they are connected to the brain. So the ears and the brain talk to each other like constantly. And that's what makes you literally do everything in your life. So if they're not talking to each other properly, that's where it all goes wrong. <laughs> Dude, I, um, I didn't know how like, depressing this conversation would be but i really <laughs> like super informative you're so fucking knowledgeable and you giggle at all sorts of shit man thank you so much because you got to you yeah, got to right like what's the alternative thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate you, uh, you letting people get to know you and advocating for the uh vestibular disorder and vestibular migraine stuff yeah yeah, absolutely. Let me. If, and if people come to you and they have questions, just send them to me. We yeah. have a ton of resources that can help anybody that may be suffering, even if they don't have a diagnosis or know what is wrong with them. Um, we can help and we can help people get connected yeah, with doctors all over the country. Yeah, man, that was the biggest thing I, I took away is like, if you just feel like you're not right, keep fucking pushing right? Like keep, keep, keep going. Fucking... Don't give up and demand somebody help. Yeah. Like I did that day that I walked into the doctor's office and I said, there's something wrong with me and I need emergency help right now. Yeah. Like take me to an MRI machine immediately. Like you, if you have to do that and be a crazy person, I don't care if people call yeah. you a Karen or whatever, do it. Yeah. Fucking do it. This is your life. Yeah. Nobody else's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like that's, and I think that's the barrier or the fourth wall, whatever you want to call it, where some people get very self-conscious to break where it's like, you've been talking about it, like not taking your days for granted. And if you've never taken your days for granted, you don't want to be impolite, but you're going to really fucking miss some days. So go ahead and be impolite. The, the worst thing yeah. that's going to happen is you're going to apologize. And guess what? No, these people don't matter. Yeah. These people don't like matter. the nurses, the doctors, like they'll get over it. It's your health, which is my takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, thank you for giving well, up so much of your time. Thank you. And uh, nah, dude, I loved it. And um, I'm looking forward to just following you on social media and just knowing more about this and about you, man. And uh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. All right. Well, Let me know if there's any more questions. Absolutely. Um, okay. Any, 
thing will be in the description if people need it. And have a good yeah. night. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.